Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. It is the Saturday session and it's not with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. It is actually... With Grant Elliott and Ben Francis. Uh, he was producer extraordinaire, but now he sits in the hot seat with me. We're flying an A380 that we've never flown before, and anything could happen. An absolute plane crash here without Daniel McCarty. Ben, good morning to you in the hot seat. Morning, Grant. I must say this is a huge honor for myself, working alongside the great man. <laughs> well, it's an honor for me too, Ben. I mean, your knowledge of darts and your rise to fame in the darts circuit this year. I think that we're going to run a great ship this morning. I'm excited for it, but I'm also extremely nervous without our leader, Daniel McCarty, who is actually calling the FIFA World Cup at the moment. So with his love of football, he's calling the USA-England game, from what I understand. And as I scramble for my phone to see how that game is going, you probably got it on the screen there, have you, Ben? Yeah, it's just finished nil all. Oh, nil all. Oh, everyone loves a nil all, don't they? Sure do. Nothing, nothing like a draw. But anyway, let me. we love to involve you as a listener. We love to hear from you. If you want to text in at any time, double eight double three, or call in 0800-150-811. It's... Uh, Let's call it uh, the hour of power, or I don't know, we're going to swing both ways today, talking about cricket, aren't we, Ben? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> and uh, we've got our legend. So in the build-up to the show, we um, always have a legend, and these legends, it is great to hear their insight, their passion for sport. And this week is Marvin Eakins, a legend in the sport of futsal. And after 12 o'clock, we'll have the high-performance of New Zealand cricket, Brian Stronach talking to us. And I think there's some really interesting talking points there with um, the announcement that Martin Guptill will be going to play for the Melbourne Renegades. Um, and he has uh, been released from his contract. One of quite a few players now. Uh, you look at Trent Bolt, Martin Guptill, uh, Colin de Grandhomme, and Jimmy Neesham as well, who turned a contract down at the start of the, the year. So interesting chat there and would be great for you to either text in your views or, or call in. We'd love to hear from you. The headlines, though, last night was a successful one for the Black Caps, wasn't it, Ben? I don't know if you watched it. Did you watch the game? Uh, I, caught, I caught bits of it and I had, had to go out. I had to go out for a little while and I'll tell you a bit about that later because uh, I have a very important question to ask you around this time of year. Uh, but I did, honestly, I remember checking in and... It was around the time where the Black Caps needed about 144 runs from the last 18 overs, and you were thinking, oh, this is going to be really, really steep. But, boy, didn't see that one coming. Yeah, I think there was a lot of haters out there before the game. Uh, I think that there was people that were doubting the Black Caps. There was talk about you know, them being past their best um, and, and not delivering. And that was more so due to the T20. It was, a, I guess, a series that was built up 
uh, quite a bit against this. Uh, wasn't a strong Indian team. It was actually almost second string. When you think the likes of Rat Kohli and Hamid Shami and Rohit Sharma, who weren't playing, um, Rav, Ravindra Dadeja. Um, so Ravi Shastri said that they were going to bring a team that was going to be exciting. They were going to play fearless cricket, and um, we didn't turn up to the first one. Uh, but tied the second one due to Duckworth Lewis. And last night's game, as you said, if you didn't watch it, outstanding. That point that you uh, probably joined the game, Ben, was New Zealand were 88 for three. They had lost Finn Allen 35 for one, and then Devin Conway at 68, and Daryl Mitchell went quickly after at 88 for three, but were met with Tom Latham and Kane Williamson. And Tom Latham, well, he was in sublime form. Tom Latham, he timed his innings to perfection. He made 145 not out as the Black Caps chased down 307 to beat India by seven wickets in the first of three of the one-day internationals just last night. Tom Latham shared an unbeaten partnership at 221 with captain Kane Williamson, who finished unbeaten on 94. Six runs short of making his first international century in almost 700 days. Wow. At the final drinks break at Eden Park in Auckland, the Black Caps were 163 for three, needing 144 runs from just 18 overs. And they just crossed the line, just finishing three down. So an outstanding outing for the Black Caps. And it's World Cup football. Ben, have you you've been watching much of that? FIFA World Cup. Yeah, mate, been, keep, been keeping an up an eye on it. There's been some absolutely cracking games and... Quite a few, quite a lot of drama as well. Is probably the best way to put it. Did you did you see that social media post that has been going viral of the two English supporters that said that they went back to Sikh's palace and played with his uh, wildlife, including a lion, a tiger, and a monkey? And you're watching it going, that didn't happen. Uh, these guys have found some beers somewhere and they've just gone full on English supporter mode. And then what followed the interview, which I'm guessing was on a mainstream uh, newscast in, in, in England, then showed the, the video of them going back to the Sikhs' palace and playing with a lion. Yeah, well, was that the one that was described? It was like uh, the real-life hangover films. <laughs> yeah, 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 actually, that, that does ring a bell. Well, it, it does remind me of a time in Karachi where I went to a house party and someone had a caged tiger. Oh. So uh, that was almost real life um, hangover stuff. So exciting, exciting times in Qatar. And there's a lot of stories coming back from the English fans who have to fill their time with it obviously being quite a dry tournament. Um, but, however, the, the show's almost over for Qatar's national football team. They were eliminated from the World Cup less than a week after it opened the tournament and launched the first version of football's biggest events in the Middle East. Qatar lost 3-1 to Senegal for their second straight defeat at the World Cup, and their exit was confirmed a few hours later, when the Netherlands and Ecuador drew 1-1 in the other Group A game on Saturday New Zealand time. South Africa had been the only other home team to fail to make it out of the group stage in 2010, but they at least managed a win and a draw. Meanwhile, Iran scored two goals in injury time to claim 2-1 win over Wales. Um, and it, there's, been, there's been a lot of upsets as well early on in this tournament. Uh, Japan beating Germany um, and Saudi. Who did Saudi beat, Ben? Argentina. That's right. That is a huge one, that one. Um, so 
I'm sure that if you're a World Cup fan, you're watching that. But nothing, nothing uh, better than an upset um, early on in this World Cup, just to add a bit of spice to it. Uh, and in Auckland, the Auckland Tuatara's, if you're into your baseball, well, they marked the return for home for the first time in three years with a 2-1 win over the Sydney Blue Sox on Friday night. American outfielder Jax Biggers stole home in the bottom of the sixth to put the Tuatara ahead before they secured the three last outs to earn the win. They moved to 5-4 in the season. Before the game, the team retired the jersey of Ryan Costello, who passed away in 2019. Two sides played twice on Saturday at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. with a finale scheduled on Sunday. Now, I, I read about that being with the uh, stealing home. That was a, that's a gutsy move. I don't know what the equivalent would be in, in darts, but um, to steal home base, from what I understood, it was a strike or, um, or they threw it to first base and third kind of managed to get home. I, and I, I haven't visualized the footage of this yet, but it sounded like a very gutsy move to get the two Ataras over the mark. Well, that's what you need to do sometimes in sport, Grant, as you know, you have to take those risks to uh, reap the rewards. Yeah, I wouldn't know. Way too conservative for that. <laughs> Some might disagree. Oh, I, would, <laughs> I don't know what your week was like, uh, Ben, but I was actually I was stuck in uh, Queenstown, great place to be stuck for a uh, conference. And for those of you that haven't uh, heard, one of the the speakers that I heard uh, during this this trip was someone called Abbas Naziri, and uh, it was a phenomenal story of an Afghan um, a refugee, made his way from Afghanistan at the age of nine and over the Pakistan border, found himself in Quetta and then on a boat through the Pacific to get to Christmas Island that then was stranded and picked up by the big oil tanker, the Tampa. So if you have never heard uh, Abbas Naziri talk, he has got a book, it sounds like his publicist and promoter now. But phenomenal story. It was so motivating and inspiring. Uh, I don't know if you've come across him, Ben, but uh, absolutely phenomenal story. No, I haven't. Uh, it'd be very interesting to check that one out. Yeah. Um, and uh, if you want to book him, you can go through me or buy his book. Uh, there's a discount code. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it was a, a great week, and we've got a great lineup coming up, as I said. We've got the Saturday session legend, Marvin Eakins, legend of the sport of futsal, which I need to uh, scrub up on my knowledge. So there'll be plenty of questions. Daniel McCarty will join us after 11 o'clock. So don't worry. It won't just be Ben and myself uh, in the seat, however entertaining this is. And remember, we want to talk. Uh, we want to hear from you. We want to hear some talkbacks. So 0800 150 811 or 8833. Good morning, good morning. Welcome back to the Saturday session. Daniel McCarty, who's out of action, he's calling his love of football. England versus USA in the World Cup. And Ben Francis and myself, well, we're in charge. We're in the driving seat. 
Now, I understand we got a caller. I've forgotten what his name is because I can't see him on my screen. Ben, who have we got there? Steve from Tauranga. Morning, mate. How are you? Morning, Steve. You there, Steve? Hello, Steve. Yeah. Oh, morning, Steve from Tauranga. Good morning. Steve, how can we help you today? How's, how's the beautiful Tauranga this morning? Um, we've had terrible weather the past week, but today's a great day. A little bit like it was in Auckland last night. You sound like you've got a strong Tauranga accent there, Steve. Is that a hail Very from Johanna? strong South African Tauranga accent, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> How can we help um, you today, Steve? Well, I wanted to ask two things, uh, Grant and Ben. Um, first of all, um, I googled the... Uh, I believe that Kane Williamson and Tom, Tom Latham were the uh, fourth highest um, ODI score for New Zealand. Do you know who the uh, top three were? I didn't know, but I did Google it and came up with the answer, if you'd be interested. I'm, I'm going to throw it out there, Steve, and say I know that Martin Guttel scored a double hundred and a 189. So I'm going to say maybe all three uh, top scores may be Martin Guttel. Well, you're right in that the third highest score was Martin Guttel and Tom Latham. You're quite right there. Um, and the highest score was Justin Marshall and Brendan McCullum. And I'm not sure where that was. That was for the first wicket, and that was a score of 274. And then the second oh, highest was was yes. um, a certain Grant Elliott and Luke Ronke for the sixth wicket. Oh, Steve, you're after your man <laughs> after my heart. Well, thanks for bringing that up. Um, we're very lucky that Daniel McCarty isn't here because he would hate you uh, throwing world records at me, Ben, wouldn't he? But uh, I, it wasn't actually Justin Marshall, Steve. You mistaken uh, a rugby. Um, extraordinaire who came and joined us in the morning during uh, the rugby sessions. It was, in fact, James Marshall. Um, but uh, everyone hates the corrector. And that would have been against Scotland. I believe that that was James Marshall's last ever ODI for um, New Zealand against Scotland. I was there for that game. I think he scored 174 from memory. And uh, never played an ODI after that. But, yeah, there have been some phenomenal um, partnerships and uh, obviously, Michael Bracewell, who's just been to Europe, has, has been one of those players. What do you think about the current makeup of the team? Well, the, the thing that concerns me about, well, it doesn't concern me, but I'm just interested in your input, is um, why has Michael Bracewell not been given a run at all in the past? Uh, he had absolutely no run in the... Uh, T20 World Championship. He didn't play in any of the T20 games. Yeah, I'm just wondering what what the issue is. Why are they not giving him a, a fair go? I'd like your yeah. opinion. I think there's a lot of lot of people that are, are asking me that um, outside the studio, and I think they're trying to find out what the best makeup of this team is. Michael Bracewell, without Jimmy Neesham there, Michael Bracewell provides that spin bowling all-rounder opportunity, I think. Now, he had an amazing showing in, in Europe uh, recently where, you know, he, he got a hat-trick, obviously, um, and uh, batted f phenomenally well. So 
he shows that he's he's shown that he's really good at this level, um, at international level. However, they've probably pigeonholed him as someone who's the spin bowling all rounder, and that's the sort of player that will come in when. You know, you need uh, Mitch Satner and another spinner. However, the conditions in New Zealand, we know finger spinners, um, you know, they really do struggle on these wickets. But you look at Washington Sundar uh, last night, he was getting a lot of purchase out of that, that wicket. There was a bit of turn there. Uh, I personally think with uh, the World Cup being in India, I think Bracewell needs to be given a go to try and find a place in that team because we all need to play two, maybe three spinners at a time. Um, and there would be two out-and-out spinners and then an all-rounder um, uh, spinning option, which is Michael Bracewell. So, and um, the other one is, of course, uh, Chapman, Mark Chapman, who bowls left-arm ortho. So they've got the options there. I don't know if we'll see Bracewell playing in New Zealand conditions, but I would like to see it against, um, against India. And if there is an opportunity, it'll be in Hamilton. Hamilton is the one wicket that does provide a little bit of turn. So... I guess watch out uh, all those Bracewell fans, and hopefully he does get a run in this series. Great. It's, it's good to hear, and I, I certainly hope you're right. I'd, I'd like to see him given a go. But anyway, thanks for a great show, you guys, and uh, we'll listen in. No, thanks a lot, Steve. Great to hear from you. Enjoy the sunny Tauranga. Thanks, Steve. Okay. Thank you very much. Keep well. Bye. Yeah, some interesting points there from Steve, Ben. I don't know how you feel as a, a New Zealand cricket fan, um, how you feel the makeup of this team. Uh, do you feel at the moment buoyed by a team that has been world-class, you know, winning the Test Championship? This is a world-class team. Do you feel as a, a New Zealand cricket fan that you're in a positive mindset or do you feel a bit like Daniel McCarty, a little bit half-empty? I'd probably say the latter, to be honest, and uh, definitely talking points we can discuss and uh, swinging both ways coming up. But oh, it, it's, it, is, it is a bit of a weird feeling, but I guess it kind of depends on what emphasis of the cricket that you enjoy the most. Uh, you know, I if you had to kind of rank it, from my perspective, T20 would be definitely last and kind of toss up between the test and ODIs. So I guess it kind of depends on what format they're playing for me. Yeah, I think that there is, and someone said something to me the other day, they said, you have to create this emotional connection with sport. And that's where your administrators and national bodies, they need to try and get down to grassroots level and create that emotional connection. And the way you create that emotional connection is by going to a game and experiencing the love of the sport. Now, when I went to um, cricket for the first time, I can still remember it. I was at the bull ring in Johannesburg. My dad took me and we sat on the wooden rafters watching um, Henry Fotheringham and Jimmy Cook and uh, Graham Pollock. Um, I later ended up playing a game with Graham Pollock at age 12. But that was where I learned my, my love of the game. And there was this, you know, this vibe and this great atmosphere. But that was test cricket or four-day cricket. So I developed a love for test cricket. Now, the... The new um, uh, generation growing up, they're going to develop a love for T20 cricket because that's going to be their emotional connection. Very rarely do you have parents that have enough time to go and take their kids to a test match, and they probably don't have the, the patience for that as well. And the other side of that is, is we were allowed on the field. You could run on the field, 
and play where the superstars played and that was all you really looked forward to you didn't watch much of the game but you you went onto the field and i don't know what your emotional connection was ben but was it with rugby league you passionate warriors fan how did you develop that emotional connection growing up yeah, look, it literally comes down to being at the stadium and just the whole atmosphere of of being there. Like I can recall going to my first Warriors game and they lost they lost that game, but I remember the atmosphere being it was really enjoyable to be part of because a couple of weeks later I went to my first and only All Blacks test and the atmosphere for me was quite dull. And, of course, I'm talking 15, 16 years ago, so it, it probably has changed a bit since then, but... That what kind of drew me, drew me to league a bit more was part of that atmosphere and being part of that uh, culture. And the other thing as well, when I was a kid, my local uh, rugby league club, which is the Hibiscus Coast Raiders, they were one of the best teams out in the Auckland region, coached by Bluey McLennan. Uh, so it was always you know a great buzz to be be around there too. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, the kids is where it's at. I think um, I've got both my sons. They're playing grassroots cricket today and you know very proud dad i can't be there but um you know the the love of sport you have to develop that love of sport just like ben francis has got a love of christmas um <laughs> he was he was telling me off air um that he was up at 2 a.m uh doing something that only would be um, almost on a list of errands, wouldn't it, Ben, <laughs> at 2 a.m.? That's a beautiful way to sum it up. So yesterday, the 25th, officially one month till Christmas, and that was also the time now that Christmas trees are on sale. So my partner, she loves Christmas. She's actually born on Christmas Day um, as well, so it kind of is a bit of a special day there. So we had to go Christmas tree shopping uh, and then we went to the shops and got some decorations, and we're you know slowly adding to the collection. And they have to be they have to be certain colours as well because it has to go fit into an all colour theme, colour pattern. Uh, by the time we get home, unload the tree, put the tree up, decorate it, everything. It was yeah, two a.m. Uh, and I just I was just very curious. Is that was is a month out too early to put up the Christmas tree? I know people have got lights up already, but I'm thinking oh, we're only just getting into that period. But I guess I, I'm glad though it's done and dusted now, so I don't have to worry about it. But oh, it was it was it was very tough because the other thing as well is that uh, Krista, my partner, she she has a she has her vision and how she wants it. So I'm more like oh, you know, I'll just leave it to you. But then she she wants you know me to help out, and then I do it wrong, and it's it's all those other things like that, which which makes it a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, it's very very late night last night putting up a Christmas tree. But as I say, I'm glad it glad it's over now. Don't have to worry about it. Well, I don't think um, it's too early. I do have a friend that starts shopping for decorations in July. Loves Ooh. Christmas. Absolutely besotted with Christmas, and um, she's got her tree up, I think, in October. So um, that's always a little bit awkward when you walk in, and you you almost think that it's December walking in. But um, yeah, uh, is it too early to put up that Christmas tree? Um, text in. We want to hear from you. But we've also got coming up next. We've got the summer of cricket segments, where with PGG rights and turf, we've got some discussion points. We want to hear from you. There's going to be questions that we'd love to hear because we've got Brian Stronach on the show, head of high performance uh, New Zealand cricket. So we can use those questions to get more insight from him. 
and where the Black Caps exactly are with their succession planning and, um, and where they currently are um, in world cricket. There's a lot of players that are, are all of a sudden being released from their contracts um, and that is on their request to play in the colourful T20 circuit. So let's hear from you, 0800 150 811, text in double eight double three. Twenty-seven minutes away from eleven here on the Saturday session. Ben Francis filling in for Daniel McCarty until eleven o'clock. But Grant Elliott is with us every week as well, and he's down in uh, Wellington. And coming up now, we have swinging both ways. Our talking cricket segment, thanks to PGG Wrightson, uh, PGG Wrightson Turf Key Suppliers, New Zealand Cricket Grounds. And uh, Grant, before we get into it. We've had a text in from Jason saying, Ben and Grant, I hope the Black Caps beat Pakistan in the upcoming tour this December and January. Uh, so we can have a bit of a talk around that. And also Jamie has messaged through saying, we put up our tree a couple of weeks ago, which I thought was too early, but probably a good idea as we have a busy few weeks ahead. <laughs> well, there's uh, some good texts there because, um, yeah, we've spoken about this Christmas tree. I want to know how early you've actually put it up. I mean, I've got, I've got one October at the moment. I've got a friend um, who will remain anonymous, I'm sure, that her partner doesn't want um, her to be named. So, um, yeah, 1st of October for me is a little bit early. So a few weeks ago, you obviously want to, you know, get rid of that Christmas rush. But also, depending on how young your children are, you don't want to throw out those decorations too early. Uh, glass on the floor and they get taken off the tree by the dog. Um, and do you go uh, fake? fake tree or do you go real tree um the the other text there uh which i think relates to probably our summer of cricket segment with pgg rights and turf uh ben is the pakistan tour now that will be an interesting one i think it will be interesting to see who from the new zealand cricket team goes on that tour and maybe that's a question for brian stronach later head of high performance because they had that uh, security scare last time they were there and left in uh, real haste without playing a game, without a ball bowled. Um, and my view was I've been to Pakistan quite a bit. I think uh, probably the second most travelled um, Kiwi there to uh, Danny Morrison, who uh, lived there for a while almost. But um, never had a problem with Pakistan. The security was amazing. Obviously, there's um, you know, security issues, but the security they provide is presidential level. Uh, and, yeah, there, there's been uh, Australia, England, Sri Lanka who have travelled there recently, so I don't think that that will be a problem, but it will be interesting to see what that squad is like. Pakistan are amazing in Pakistan um, conditions, and it does count for a World Cup Super League game, as do these three games against India. So everything to play for. It's not just about a series now. It's about getting those points to get into the, the, the World Cup, where New Zealand currently sit at sixth and India are first on the table but get a free run in to the World Cup because they're the host country. If New Zealand win this series 3-0, they'll go to number one on the table. So a uh, good start from New Zealand last night. Yeah, I guess with that squad, uh, when it gets picked, I guess the really interesting one will be to see I'm going to call him the forgotten man in New Zealand cricket because it's nearly been a year to the day since he, or year to the day since he did it. But Ajaz Patel taking the ten wickets uh, will happen in the first week of December, and it'll be very interesting to know whether he's a part of that tour. Yeah, that's um, that's really um, 
a good points. I mean, AJ has almost been forgotten. You're, you're right. I mean, I've even forgotten that, that feat of 10 wickets. Now that you bring it to my attention, I mean, you, you need specialist spinners when you get to the subcontinent. <clears throat> and you never know what sort of pitches and surfaces you might find. And, and you know, that's why teams really do struggle going to the subcontinent because the, the conditions are foreign. A turn, Pakistan... When I've been there, it hasn't been turning wickets, but they've been T20 wickets. So they've been very true uh, in nature. So um, what you do get, though, is they're quite low and they skid low and they can be a bit slow. Um, and you do get reverse swing because they're abrasive surface. And we saw that when, you know, this Pakistan team gets reverse swing, they are dangerous. And that's some, something that actually helped them get into the final of the, the T20 World Cup. So... Um, not only the conditions, but obviously we, we're going to be um, up against it in terms of the squad that goes to Pakistan. Yeah, that, that's right. And uh, we kind of touched on the Black Caps T20 series against India earlier on the show, but what did you kind of, I guess, because it came after the World Cup, it almost kind of felt not like a, wasn't like a dead rubber series, but it was one of those ones where I was like, we've just had the T20 World Cup, you know, why did you throw those matches in there, of course? Uh, one got rained off, one was a draw because of the Duckworth-Lewis system, but I guess the whole talking point from that T20 series was Finn Allen struggling for form again and Kane Williamson kind of slow with the bat because in that second match they really needed to get him going and I think he took 48 balls to get his 50, which is just not fast enough. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I mean, Kane Williamson and Devin Conway, their strike rate for the T20 World Cup was 116. Um, and I think... When you look at the T20 teams at the moment, what you have to realise is that England, in my mind, they've won the World Cup, and Australia, the previous T20 World Cup, which was just two years ago, we made the final to that one. We haven't been able to get over the line, so we're not the best in the world. You have to look at the best in the world to understand how we need to structure our team. And when, when I look at the best in the world, I think England, for me, at the start of the tournament, They've got an experienced bowling lineup, which I believe we've got the best bowling lineup in the world. Um, I have no doubt about that. Maybe on par with Pakistan. And um, you listen to my reasoning now why Pakistan and New Zealand, I think, are quite similar as teams. Pakistan came over here for the, that triangular and actually and, and beat us. So New Zealand and Pakistan have a fantastic bowling lineup, which means that, that they're never going to have to chase many runs so we're always in around that 170 sort of max which gives our batting lineup more of a chance because i don't think we're a particularly aggressive batting lineup but when you look at england who i believe are, are world's best at the moment their batting lineup and career strike rates far exceed any other team they're picking players that are striking at you know over 130 and that's every player in the team but going down to you know chris wokes batting at nine of ten so they've got a team that is looking to, to almost score 200. And they've got such a dangerous batting lineup. Now, I think that we need to move more towards players like Finn Allen and Glenn Phillips. And we noticed that someone like David Milan, who's number five in the world in T20 rankings, he slid down the order. They got past six overs, Joss Butler and um, Alex Hales had a great partnership, got past that sixth over, and then suddenly David Milan would just slide down and he came in an eight at the end. 
because every one of those players was just looking to get the, the momentum going in the innings and try and get as many runs as possible. Now, where England come unstuck is when they find themselves on a wicket that is probably not a 200 wicket. It might be a 140 wicket where you need the skill of test batting. That's where New Zealand is a dominant force because we've almost got a test batting lineup. So to answer in a roundabout way, um, Ben, your question about Finnellan, I think, you know, we, we, we have to stick with him. But that's been part of, you know, the New Zealand uh, fibre at the moment is sticking with players, giving them uh, the ability to uh, feel secure in an environment and knowing that, like, you know, every innings is not going to be their last. They're going to be backed until they've been proven that they can't be backed any longer. Now, obviously, the pressure goes on you as a player when you don't perform time in and time again. But in general, you know, one-day cricket, T20 cricket is one in five um, consistent. If you can have a one in five uh, match-winning performance, and in one-day cricket, it's probably less than that. You want to be one in three. So we need to give Finnellan time. Um, his strike rate is exceptional, and he's one player that, you know, he can take the game away from oppositions. And there's not many players that you look at and you go, well, well he can score 140 balls. Um, and I think on their day, players like Devin Conway and Kane Williamson can do that. And uh, we saw, you know, Tom Latham, who's not even considered a, uh, an aggressive player, play that innings last night, which, you know, was an unbelievable innings. So it, it's about giving our players time. Yeah, and uh, Finn Allen scored 22 in last night's ODI, that T20 series quickly uh, behind us, Kane Williamson getting 94 of 98, but Tom Latham, the big one, 145 runs off 104 balls. Absolutely incredible. And with the ball, Lockie Ferguson taking three wickets along with Tim Southey. Uh, was it Tim Southey brought up his 200th wicket as well in the process? Yeah, amazing from Tim Southey. It's, you know, hat-trick as well uh, recently. And he just keeps going from strength to strength. I think there's a lot of people that, that doubt Southey. And... You know, when you look at his numbers, his numbers are absolutely exceptional. And he's someone that leads that bowling unit. He's someone that, you know, takes that bowling unit, um, with, especially with Trent Bolt now gone, he'd be the senior player. And having captained the T20 team, he's been there for um, over a decade now. He debuted with me in my, my first ever test. And, um, you know, that sort of experience counts for a lot. I just, you know, I wonder... The likes of Trent Bolt and Tim Southey, them complementing each other in a bowling partnership, I think that that's something we're really going to miss because generally Southey and Bolt would get wickets up front and then you'd have someone like Ferguson or Milne coming in and Satner to tie it up, build that pressure and get wickets through pressure. Uh, Satner is someone who, you know, in one-day cricket, when you look at his numbers, he really has struggled to to penetrate and get those wickets. Um he uh, he does bowl through the middle, and he doesn't have that obviously raw sort of spin, and because of that, he's not a wicket taker. He's more of someone that actually gets uh, wickets through pressure. So I think we'll miss that that opening partnership, and I think Tim Southey will miss it as well. Yeah, uh, and the other, I guess, the big talking point from the week in cricket uh, we touched on it earlier as well was Martin Guptill. Uh, requesting that release from his contract and a couple of days later getting picked up by the Melbourne, Melbourne Renegades. Was, was that, did you think that was quite a surprise or was that something that you thought would be a possibility? Yeah, I mean, you know, as soon as you heard it, um, that he wanted to be released, 
I think that then you know that he's going to be going on the T20 circuit. Uh, so it was no surprise. I guess the question is, is how far into the discussions were they? Was it something that was done? I think when Liam Livingston decided he wasn't going to go there, that created an opening for Guttel. Um, and the big bash contracts, we've seen the likes of Milne uh, play for, um, uh, I forget the team, but he played uh, Big Bash uh, last year and actually forced his way into the New Zealand team through the Big Bash. However, New Zealand's keeping the door open. They're not saying if you go and play in the T20 circuit, you're not going to be considered for New Zealand. Um, Milne's probably, you know, they've set the precedent there where Milne has been um, granted, uh, you know, New Zealand status after playing in the Big Bash. So, it doesn't mean the door's closed, and Kane Williamson mentioned that as well. But I think that it's probably the culmination of Allen being top choice uh, opening batter in the one days in T20, and probably Martin Guptill being told that he's sitting on the side and maybe the opportunity to play in the Big Bash, which uh, forced his decision. Well, what other options do we have with opening batters? Like, who, Is there anyone that's standing out to you? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we could shuffle our batting order. You know, Kane could open. Obviously, Devin opens. What about it? Everyone's forgotten about, you talk about AJS Patel. What about Henry Nichols? Yeah, true. Henry, Henry Nichols was opening the batting and opened the batting in the 2019 World Cup. Um, did a good job of it. Got 50 in the final. And um, we haven't seen him. You know, well, what's happened to, to Henry Nichols, who all of a sudden fell out of flavor? He was, he was almost pushed up the order. And when you're a middle-order player like he is, Bat, opening the batting is so different to, to middle order. And um, he he was just getting into, I think, his groove, and they were creating a nice sort of partnership there when um, he was uh, bunted. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. We've got the players. Another player that I think is a very dynamic player and should be given a, a go at some stage is Dane Cleaver. He's better than the top three. But he's quite dynamic. He's almost he's quite similar to um, uh, Seifert, Tim Seifert, who, who also occupied that position for a while. So we've chopped and changed in that top order, and it's a crucial uh, lineup. You need to get that right. You need to get your opening partnership right, your bowler who's bowling 150 and your spin bowler uh, to have a, have a great team. And um, if you can throw in a, a dominant all-rounder who can finish innings, uh, then you've got the makings of a great team to, to work around. But maybe we just haven't quite settled on our opening partnership yet. And uh, that, that's one to, to watch out for in Finale. And I really hope he does get going. Uh, my assessment of last night is that he didn't play the game that he normally plays domestically. Normally he uses his feet and you know comes down at the bowlers and is really aggressive and uh, puts them on the defensive from ball one. But he seemed um, almost to try build an innings last night. And that's maybe something that, you know, he'll learn how aggressive he wants to be. Stephen Fleming spoke about it. You know, he needs to learn to just tender his, his aggression and work out how far he needs to push it. But he's an exciting player. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's plenty more talking points we can have, but we've run out of time, so hopefully we can touch on these after 11 as well. So that was our uh, summer cricket segment. Uh, we call it Swinging Both Ways, thanks to PGG Rights and Turf. PGG Rights and Turf, premium suppliers of turf, seed, and maintenance products to cricket grounds across New Zealand. We are 12 minutes away from 11 here on the Saturday session. Coming up after the break, we will have the Ocho. 
Seven minutes away from 11 here on the Saturday session. Ben Francis and Grant Hilliot through uh, with you till 11 o'clock. And then Daniel McCarty uh, joining back the show after calling the uh, Football World Cup. But Grant, before we get to the Ocho, I want to quickly, because uh, I'm, I'm in the big chair, I can finally do my uh, workhorse of the week. I've been really looking forward to throwing a nomination out there. But I've do, you got, have any, do you have any non-nominations? I do. I do. I'll be, I'll be real quick. Firstly, I'm gonna. My non-nomination will be the uh, the Glazers from Manchester United for pretty much saying we're gonna sell the football club because that means that they are probably gonna be in a better position. And it's kind of one of those things where if your Manchester United's doing better, football's better off for it. But my actual nomination will be for a darts player by the name of Michael Smith. Uh, Michael Smith is one of the best players in the world, but up until last week, he had lost in eight major finals. But last week, he finally broke his duck, and he is now a major champion in darts. So he's one and nine in the finals, but after losing eight finals, he's finally got over the hump, and he's uh, he's now a major champion. So I'm very proud of him, and I feel like that that is a worthy nomination of Workhorse of the Week. Oh, and the listeners, the dart listeners out there will love that, Ben Francis. I had no doubt that you were going to go to darts. Um, and you will hear my workhorse nomination of the week, as well as Daniel McCarty's later on in the show when he joins us after 11 o'clock. But now it's time for the Ocho. Quirky and bizarre sporting stories you may have missed during the week. There was a British angler who was celebrating after reeling in one of the world's biggest goldfish at a fishery in France. The gigantic orange specimen aptly nicknamed the carrot. <laughs> the flying carrot. The fish weighed 30.4 kilograms and is thought to be 20 years old. It was caught by someone called Andy Hackett. The 42-year-old spent 25 minutes landing the fish and was delighted when it tipped the scales at 13 kilograms more than the previous heaviest goldfish caught in the U.S. in 2019. I think there needs to be a disclaimer there, though, Ben, because there was the video of those anglers and the angry contestants that found that they'd put weights <laughs> in the fish. So oh. Hopefully they opened up that uh, that 30.4-kilogram goldfish. Oh, I don't know how, how good that is, but uh, real quickly, uh, our other one is, you know, we love talking about new sports here on the Oat Show, and the latest one is a combination of two very tough sports. It's called Bartaball, a brutal hybrid game that uh, combines MMA and basketball played inside a fighting cage. The rules are pretty unclear, but we've seen breaking backboards, among other things, and lots of rugby tackling and everything like that. So it's pretty crazy. <sighs> we are five minutes away from 11 here on SCNZ. Coming up after the break, the return of Daniel McCarty. Bang on 11am. This is the Saturday session. He's back. He's back, Daniel McCarty. Oh, thank goodness. I haven't been anywhere, mate. Well, I know. You've been in the studio while I've been running... Multiple devices, two computers. Luckily, you're ben. the most technically savvy uh, person I know. Am I? Though? You would have done it in your in your sleep. I did get here a little bit later than I had hoped, sort of 25 minutes ago. But luckily, uh, under the what? So you missed the first half an hour of the show? No, no, ben, no. Well, he left you hanging, Ben. Did he? Oh, he was awful. <laughs> Terrible to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> he stormed into the commentary booth. David Schultz in full flight, and he's like, "Where's the?" Wi-Fi password. <laughs> no, I quietly just snuck over. Luckily, we found a piece of paper with a Wi-Fi password. Otherwise, it's been it there been, for about eighteen months. Otherwise, it would have been Ben Francis <laughs> by himself. But I, I likened it to uh, Ben Francis and I, without a pilot's license, being given an A three eighty. 
and said, good luck, fellas. Oh, how do they go? Double eight, double three. Uh, let me know. Or um, we, yeah, let's let's just do open line talk. Uh, let's cancel all guests and just uh, you know review review the the opening hour of the program. Uh, good morning to you all. I uh, hope you're doing well. Hope you've had a wonderful sporting uh, week. Uh, have you? Yes, we have. Uh, the, just to recap in that hour, we, I miss? we spoke about Christmas trees. Is it is, how early is too early to put up a Christmas tree without being judged? I had, it's definitely too early. Well, I had a friend, um, well, I've got a friend that puts it up on the 1st of October. So, what? yep. Uh, so, if you can beat that, and Ben Francis was up till 2 a.m. last night putting a Christmas tree up. What? Yeah. Why, Ben? It's Be- a month out. Because our Christmas trees were. Is it on- a real tree or a fake it's tree? A, it's, Sorry, a real, it's a real tree, uh, but my partner, she. Will it survive? I hope so. Uh, she's real Christmas savvy. She's bought. She's a Christmas Day baby, actually, uh, and right. she, she loves the time. Oh, really? Of, yeah, she loves the time of year. So as soon as they were on sale, we had to go there. Then we had to go out and get decorations. By the time we got home, put it up, decorated it, vacuumed, did all the other aesthetic things and all the colours matching and all that. It was really late, and I'm half asleep this morning. Oh, fantastic. Uh, good on you. Um, I would have been a little bit grumpy hanging a Christmas tree, um, you know, before the end of November. I was I must grumpy. Admit, I've been, yeah, I've been deep in the weeds of Football World Cup, as you're probably aware. And I, I do remember watching a video of the Brazilian team announcement. And they had like sort of, you know, live shots of everyone hearing their name called out on television because they didn't get told. Um, and there was one player, I think, and I think, and don't quote me on it. I think it was Alex Telles, who was the, the left uh, back, the, the replacement, uh, the backup left back. Um who's just there with his uh, partner and there's a warm, long embrace and he's getting quite emotional. And all I could pay attention to was the Christmas tree in the back of his room. And I'm like, what, dude? Why do you have a Christmas tree up? So this is fitting. Yeah, I only watched it a couple of days ago. So how did they announce the team? They, they announced it live on TV so the players yep. didn't know. Just and a then... top table press conference and the players were sort of, you know, with their own social media presence. On Facebook Live yeah, or whatever. We're, we're filming the reaction and some of the reactions are great. Um, Sally's because he's probably maybe, maybe, you know, he was always going to get in the squad, but probably one of the last names to get in the squad. It was only him and his partner when there were other players like, um, uh, more established starters who had like 20 people around their house. But this uh, is <laughs> awkward because if you go, you invite your friends over and you go, you don't Hey, um, I'm setting up Facebook live. They're going to announce the team. I'm pretty sure I'm in. <laughs> And then all of a sudden you're not. Can you imagine that would well, be like... a lot of those videos never would have been posted. The Trump if party they, being they, told they've yeah. lost. If Bobby Firmino, the, the Liverpool uh, centre forward, um, who's been a, a long-time Brazilian uh, player, uh, was filming at home, well, he wouldn't have posted it because he didn't make the team. My favourite team announcement, though, was the Uruguayan one, which is fantastic, and I highly recommend after the show's finished going and actually checking it out. It's basically the coach at a desk um, with a map of Uruguay and you know um, and it's all divided into the provinces of Uruguay and he's like putting his finger on a certain province and then uh, the camera zooms in and takes you actually to that province and then a local person is holding up the jersey of of the person who represents that's cool that that province has made the World Cup squad Uh, that it was really cool uh, you know a a lot of New Zealand teams could take some lessons uh, from, from that one that that was particularly sweet and quite moving because you actually got to see the streets, the parks, the communities they grew up in. Uh, you got to see the range. You know, it's a big country, Uruguay. You know, the spread of players, just a few from the north, you know, um, lots from down south. No, no, that was, it was really cool, actually. I think we're onto something here because that, that was the romance of international sports is that you had to wake up in the morning and look at the paper, didn't you? 
it wasn't, you know, a call from Gavin Larson or Sir Richard Hadley telling me I wasn't good enough and I just missed the team. <laughs> you know? You remember that one, though. When you were first selected for New Zealand, did what? It wasn't broadcast? Because the All Blacks do it quite well. They do it like that. Never, never had a broadcast selection. Never. I mean, Come there was, on, New Zealand cricket. There, there was 2015-16 um, World Cup where you already knew you were in the team and then they announced the team. Um, and I was obviously the bolter, they called it. So I was, I guess, the surprise package behind stage. But everyone already... And then Brian Water went on air and went to war for you. Did he? Oh, yeah. Oh, thanks for Wads. Oh, Wads was great. So was it, we he, need his experience, and you know what, Wads? He's the only he, he one. Nailed, he nailed it. He's the he only got, one that went to Yeah, my... there were a few. There were a few. What? I got I got, <laughs> I got, booed off the field. Jade Stadium, or what's it called? Hagley, sorry, Oval. Yeah, booed off the field. That first game when I missed a in-swinging, <laughs> just regulation delivery, try to cut Kula. Uh, what's it? They booed you off the Kula field. Sake. Yeah, yeah. Why? Did oh. you keep a Cantabrian out of the squad? I wasn't a Cantabrian. Oh, you weren't. <laughs> right. So you were. So basically, it wasn't because you were the surprise selection. But it also, was because you just weren't from Canterbury. And every New Zealander got booed that day who wasn't. Well, no, no I, just, fa- you know, I faced five balls and they went upstairs twice, and uh, <laughs> I and I got dropped before getting bowled. So it wasn't. I remember sitting down in the change room. I and, can't remember that Sri Lanka first game, wasn't it? Yeah, so I sat down in the change room, and then <laughs> Southy went, "Mate, he bowls in swingers." As soon as I come in, and then at the end of the game, Baz went, "Well, you got that one out the way, have you?" Yeah, which was sort of like obviously a bit of nerves. It was it was quite a big couple of weeks. So it wasn't watching the ball, Daniel. Oh, fantastic. Uh, all right. It is seven minutes after 11 o'clock. Uh, let's check the headlines at the top of the hour, as we like to do. Uh, England and the United States have wrapped up match day number six uh, at FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 in a matchup between football against soccer. It ended up nil all. That's the third game now at FIFA World Cups. Uh, the United States have resisted England. England have yet to beat them at, at a FIFA World Cup. It ended up nil all. Uh, in a game that was uh, wildly uninspiring, and uh, soon the English FA and uh, USA football will receive uh, invoices from Daniel McCarty and Jason and uh, David Choate for time wasted. Uh, earlier today, it was uh, Senegal beating Qatar by three goals to one, while Iran uh, beats Wales um, two goals to nil in a wild game. Wayne Hennessy was sent off in the 86th minute, uh, and Iran scored in the 98th and 101st minute. So both deep into stoppage time. Huge result for Iran. Wales now bottom of the group. Uh, meantime, in Group A, uh, the Dutch drew with Ecuador and were very lucky to draw with Ecuador. Ecuador by far the better side in that one. The Dutch had one shot on goal, which was the goal to uh, Gakpo in the sixth minute. Uh, that means Qatar has been eliminated. Yeah, they're the first team out. They're gone, Berger. Uh, good riddance because they're not much. Um, they're not much fun to watch. Fair to say that sounds pretty harsh because it is. Uh, that's your update from the FIFA World Cup. The New Zealand Breakers have continued their brilliant start of the Aussie NBL season despite uh, uh, NBL officials giving them a horror sort of a draw and a travel schedule over the last uh, couple of weeks. They've claimed a valuable uh, scalp in the Cairns Taipans and on the road, trailing by as many as ten in the opening quarter. The visitors battle back to lead uh, before halftime and build a twelve-point advantage late in the third quarter. Uh, before staving off a bit of a determined comeback from the hosts uh, down the stretch to win 72-71.
They are now 9-3 and three overall for the season and look legit now, don't they? Uh, meantime, and as you've probably discussed in swinging both ways uh, in association with PGG Rights and he guesses, uh, Tom Latham and Kane Williamson celebrated a record fourth wicket stand and with it a remarkable seven-wicket win over India at Eden Park, chasing down what appeared to be a reasonably imposing total. And they did it with a plum, what? Three down and with 17 balls to spare. India racked up 306 for the loss of seven. Latham joined Williamson at the crease. Uh, with the hosts, 88 for the loss of three in the 20th over. Uh, the skipper uh, left stranded in the 90s, wasn't he? Was it 96? Something yes, like 96, 96 for Kane Williamson. And uh, Tommy Latham, um, one of the better New Zealand performances in one-day international cricket. Oh, 145. Sublime. Off 101 yeah. balls. Uh, they... I flicked over in the 40th over because uh, I had you know, sick kids. Yesterday, flicked over in the. It's a great time though. for you to flick over because you're always half empty. Although the 59 <laughs> or 52, was, or there was something. 26, 25 runs off that. Off that over. over. That was the turning point. Yeah. Well, it was it was the steak and cheese pie followed by the mince pie, then the uh, bacon and egg pie, and then the potato top pie. All pies, but just dispatched beautifully by Latham. He was good enough to you know to put the balls away, but uh, that that really did swing at New Zealand's favour once and for all. So I'll, I'll take, basically I'm taking credit yeah. for that, switching on at that, uh, that moment. Great moment for you because you would have gone half empty to half full in one over. I'd been following the score. I'd been following the score and there was a, a great partnership building. Mm. And um, I thought with one of them, if one of them could stay there to the end, I thought, you know, Phillips still to come, Santner still to come. That ground, you know it well. It's hard to defend any score. So I probably wasn't, I was probably quarter empty by my generally very grey negative standards. You can you can let it get up to uh, 12 and over almost at Eden Park. Tens you should still do because you get a boundary and over. Um, but out of the, the World Cup football, I want to ask you, you said mm-hmm. Qatar, awful. I mean, I want to draw on your football knowledge because I know how good you are at it. I heard Costa Rica were the worst in the tournament. They lost 7-0. Well, they waved the white flag against um, Spain, got thumped. I think they had 17% possession. <laughs> they didn't have a shot in the game. That's the first time a team has not had a shot in a game since the 1990 World Cup where Costa Rica oh, didn't have a shot in 1990. You know, ifs, what's, maybes, would New Zealand have done better? Um, you know, did you call I'm that sure game? Yeah, we, we called that game. Oh, what was that like? Uh, well, the New Zealand Costa Rica game. Oh, wildly frustrating because New Zealand's probably on the run of things, had the better of it, uh, just weren't good enough to take their chances when they did get the ball in the back of the net. VAR came back and overturned what I thought was a 50 50 call. I didn't think it was clear and obvious the foul. Um, and I thought the goal should have stood, but it didn't. Um, and, you know, we got hit with a sucker punch in the opening couple of minutes. So. Yeah, but you know, but frustrating. I'm sure for New Zealand football fans, it would have been love, lovely to see us there. But it, that Spanish side, oh. yeah. So are they head we, and shoulders? We, we would have been chasing massive shadows in that game too. <laughs> uh, so Spain will go through in that group. Um, the big surprise also in that group was Saudi Arabia beating Germany yes, in one of yeah. the big upsets in all of uh, World Cup history. And Japan beating Argentina, obviously. Yeah, another one. So Argentina take on Mexico tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. Uh, check out the SNZ app for that one. Um, and Spain have got Germany. So Germany need to beat Spain. Oh, that'll be a in their good next one. Game. And uh, luckily David Choate and I have that game. I think it's the following day. I, I can't wait again. That one's at 8 a.m. on Monday morning. So that's a bit of a rundown. Um 
I love correctors. Nobody likes correctors. We love correctors. Uh, thank you, Cam, for correcting me. Uh, ben Francis did write the score down correctly. I just uh, I misspoke. Uh, the Breakers won 72-71, not 72-71. Uh, a good effort, writes Cam. Thank you. Keep your messages coming through on double eight double three. We best take a break because we've got a legend coming up. We love going across the sporting sphere now, don't we? And we're, you know, we're, we're in the round ball phase of, you know, international sport. But what's a cousin of football, Grant? What's a cousin of football? Um, a hugely popular growing sport. Let's say rugby because it started off as football. Well, no, it's a round ball. I'm trying to give you a hint. The ball's round. The rugby ball is not round, is it? It's oval. Your volleyball. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, yeah, you use your hands in volleyball. Yeah. It's not akin to, to football, is it? Tell me. A sport you use your feet? F- f- futsal? Yeah, futsal. Uh, we're going to speak to a man who's uh, been deep in the weeds of New Zealand futsal for a long, long time. Firstly, as a player, now a coach, I think the longest-serving player uh, in New Zealand football's um, uh, history. We can't wait to catch up with Marvin uh, Eakins. Um, was New Zealand Football Player of the Year in 2013, won the New Zealand Football Coach of the Year Award in 2018. So his fingerprints all over the sport. We'll find out um, where his love and passion of the sport came from, uh, how this game, why this game is so popular, um, what's happening in the New Zealand uh, sphere, and um, you know, do futsal and football get on? I'm, yeah. in, I'm interested. It's like, do cricket and indoor cricket get along? Yeah. Do, is it... or, or do outdoor players look down at indoor players and think, oh, just bogans. And is it called futsal or indoor soccer? Oh, it's futsal. If you call, if you uh, to a footballer, if you call it soccer, they they immediately the dirtiest <laughs> look you've ever seen. I don't know why. Why is that? Because okay. it's uh, associated football. Oh, well, I mean, come on. Well, look, it's in the name FIFA, yeah. Federation International Football. Where did soccer come from then? Actually, I don't know off the top of my head. Am I going to have to hit Google again? Yeah, Mr. Google is your friend. Uh, we'll take a break, and our Saturday session legend segment will roll on after the break in association with Somerset. Think legendary care, think Somerset Retirement Villages. Almost 20 minutes after 11 o'clock. Gee, the correctors are out. Jason's now corrected us. Good. Um, hi, guys. Saudi Arabia beat Argentina and Japan beat Germany. I thought I got that mixed up. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim that one. I wasn't listening. Yeah. Grant. That, you do that often. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a great talker, terrible listener. <laughs> Hello, Therese. <laughs> it's my wife, by the way, who's probably nodding vigorously now. He's a dreadful listener. She's not listening to the show. Come on. Of course she will. She's more <laughs> no, supportive. She is. She's way, way, more, way, way more supportive than yours, mate. Clearly <laughs> not listening, right? Uh, time for our Saturday session legend as we go into the realm of futsal. Uh, we are utterly delighted to be welcoming into the program um, a wonderful servant of New Zealand futsal over many, many a year as uh, a player, player coach, I think, uh, coach as well. He's won coach of the year, player of the year. What has he not done? Well, we'll find out um, as uh, we welcome in Marvin Eakins to the program. Marvin, welcome aboard. G'day, Marvin. G'day, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, our pleasure. Thank you for, for dropping by. I, I, I've seen a few images. I, I must know, are you supporting the magnificent beard uh, that you did rock and roll a few times during your playing days? You, you still sporting that? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the beard. Um, it's, it's varied in size. And it's more of a, a close trim. At the moment, but yeah, I, I wish the the wife would let me go a little bit longer. <laughs> you, Marvin, have you got a few greys coming through? 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to attribute that to. Um, I'm not going to say it's futsal, but uh, there is probably a little bit of that. That's um, certainly, certainly over the last few weeks, there's been a bit of stress on the on the body and on the beard. Well, you are in your mid thirties too, mate. Uh, sorry to tell you, but Father Time is undefeated. Uh, <laughs> uh, he will get you eventually. He's got Grant Elliott who's sporting lots of greys in yours. There's a lot of salt and pepper. Yeah, here. you don't shy away from it though, Grant. You're completely embracing it. Marvin, take us to the. To, to the beginning of your story with this uh, sport, it's a really popular sport. It's had amazing growth after over the last ten years, uh, but but your first association uh, with futsal, where, how did it come about? Uh, well, I've always been a football player uh, for for most of my life, and I guess I was pretty late late to futsal. Uh, but it wasn't until um, someone invited me, a mate just invited me to kind of fill in um, out in uh, at a, or formerly ASB Stadium out in Coimarama. Just to play a social game, um, and I guess from there, and what I tell other people, as soon as you kind of step on the court and and have a bit of a game, it kind of kind of gives you a little bit of the bug. So, what type of footballer were you? Were you a competitive one? Um, you know, more of a social player. Uh, describe that to us. Uh, no, so I kind of football pretty much was was my main focus. I was. Um, Fortunately, I spent a lot of my time playing for Manrewa uh, yep. AFC uh, across the Northern League for a large stint and also did a stint with um, Hawks Bay United uh, for one summer season as well. So you played at a very good standard. Uh, so you're obviously very competent. Uh, so so what you talk about the bug. Uh, as soon as you, you took to the futsal court, you know, why? What What, what gave you? I think I think when I when I always think about this, I think it's just the fact that uh, my football life was involved, and I was a holding midfielder. You know, I like to pass the ball around, do a few tackles, <laughs> sideways, um, do yeah, yeah, a bit of sideways as everyone has probably seen today uh, this morning. Um, and then, but what I found with football is that you actually got to attack heaps and score more goals than I normally would, and I think that's what what people actually like, especially defenders. Defenders are actually really good at football because they. They love to defend, first of all, but then they also get this um, opportunity to score some goals. Well, uh, that's what I wanted to ask you, actually, Marvin, is, um, you know, the difference between futsal and football, which you've described, but, I mean, I, I played indoor cricket, and I was hopeless at indoor cricket. Were you? Hopeless at it. I mean, the thing that used to fire me up is every time you got out, they would give you a send-off, but then you'd stay on the wicket. So, you know, they'd keep sending you off. But I mean, <laughs> and, and your runs would go down. Yeah, and your runs would go. you get negative runs and they'd, while they were abusing you. But, I mean, is the adaptation from football to futsal, is that easier, I would imagine, than futsal to football? Uh, at, at the end of the day, I guess it's kicking a, a round ball into a goal, and that's kind of what I, what I tell people. So every, all the same things are, are there. Um, it's just pretty much a accelerated version of the game because it's just the five v five. You're in a you're in a smaller area, um, which then means you you have to just deliver a lot more actions. Like there'd be football games that I played in where I just watched the ball go over my head, uh, back and forth either way. <laughs> um, but but within two minutes of playing football, you've probably touched the ball about twenty times already. So it's kind of you're always in the action, even if you're trying to avoid it. Somehow the ball um, always finds you. Well, that's got to be a part of the reason why it's so popular. I, I also talk about this with basketball. Um, you know, yeah. Grant's kids are absolutely mad on it. It's the fact indoors, you always know when you're going to play. It's always going to start on time. You're mm. not going to freeze your backside off. 
and, and you're all involved. And as you pointed out, you know, in an outfield game, you can't, you know, the game can literally pass you by as you're watching some, you know, uh, sky tennis above your head if you've got some a uh, Route 1 type footballers, if you know what I mean. But how quickly did it go from just getting out on the court, just having a taste, to being quite competitive? Uh, I guess there was an opportunity to play in, a, I guess, an Auckland team, which I trialled for. Uh, got into the second team, I think, the first year. First year round, played at the tournament. Tournament's always fun. Did okay there. And then I kind of, from there, I made a coach took a punt on me and put me in the in the top team. Um, and I think a year after that, I was selected for the, the national team in 2008. Um, so that kind of... Um, really pushed me along. But um, the coach at the time actually asked if I was a football player or still a football player. And at the time, I said I was still just a, a football player playing futsal. Um, and it wasn't until I sort of started playing the international game when I realised, wow, this is kind of where I want to be. I need 3,000 Solomon Islanders screaming at me. Um, <laughs> and the pressure that, that comes with that. Um, and kind of from there on, I thought, this is pretty good. Um, I mean, playing for your country, obviously, it's a, it's a real honour to get the opportunity uh, to do that. So I certainly didn't take that for granted. But I um, still didn't know that much about the game. I was kind of just a participant going along for the ride. And uh, tell us uh, a little bit about the positional play in futsal. I'm just trying to picture, you know, you've got five people on the court. Is it just anyone in any position? Or do you have set formations and set positions um, in, in futsal? So what you generally have is you've got your specialist, which is obviously the goalkeepers, so that kind of lets you four players. Um, and then you've got a variety of formations, what we call, uh, I guess, 3-1. So if you can imagine three a little bit deeper and one higher um, as kind of a target player, or even they get a bit uh, more interesting, they, they have another one called 4-0, which is four flat players. Um, but mm. I think the real distinction here is that you do have positions on the court, but you're never actually that position. So you're always passing and moving, so you're actually occupying positions as the game's going on. So it's um it's pretty rare. You might find that the top guy, what we call the pivot, um, that's kind of a specialist position because they need to be able to hold the ball up back to goal. They need to be you know relatively strong um, and able to score a few goals or create a few goals for themselves as well. But everyone else kind of needs to be pretty versatile. Uh, first involvement with New Zealand back in 2008. So you've had a long connection with our, our national side as a player, then as a player coach and a coach as well. You know, what are some of the highlights in that time? Uh, to be honest, there's not many result-based highlights uh, until more recently. But as a player, I think we, we did some pr- pretty cool things. So it was very uh, 2008 uh, to 2010. It was um, kind of a user pays. Uh, model, so um, it may be an element of I was able to afford helped me get into the to the national team at the time. But um, <laughs> yeah, we, well, that's probably what some others thought. So yeah, so a bit of that, um, and then I guess just the, like I mentioned, my very first or second game was in Fiji against the Solomon Islanders. We'd heard that they were all right, we didn't realise how good they were, and just that that um, got kind. chaotic. Yeah, well, well, I, I learned a harsh lesson very early on. I passed a square ball, uh, but under hit, they intercepted and scored a goal. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, it really gave me the taste of if you're making mistakes at the international level, you kind of get punished no matter who you're playing against. Um, so yeah, yeah so there's been there's been a bit of heartache along the way. We we haven't qualified for a World Cup yet. I didn't as a player. Um, a lot of 
um, missed opportunities, uh, but we've had some pretty good results. We've, uh, I think we were the first team to beat an Asian um, team and beating Malaysia. Uh, I think that was in, in 2013. Uh, we pushed Aussie um, quite a few times, and they were a bit more established uh, than we were, and we've kind of been fortunate to to push some of the other teams. I mean, um, Russia, if I can call them out, though we played them a few years ago, they're a bit of a powerhouse in the futsal thing, um, and we were able to kind of push them in the first half, and then kind of eventually the, the professionals on their side kind of took it away from us in the second half. So, yes, yeah, so as a player, lots of awesome time out on the court, um, going into battle with your, with your mates, um, but very few actual successes, I guess, as far as winning championships, uh, with the national team anyway. Oh, yeah. and, and Marvin, can we expect it to be televised, uh, you know, the, if you did get into the World Cup? Because I don't, I think I've seen it overseas on TV, but do you get many broadcast opportunities? It's not as good as we would like, Um it's yeah. kind of the, the challenge we have is the last one was in Lithuania, so it's always weird times. Um, Sky has picked uh, picked up some of the World Cup games um, previously. They should. Uh, it's I, good I guess viewing. The good thing is, it's it's an easy watch, right? It's just a yeah, it is. Equivalent to, to the sevens, right? And, and the rugby or the nines and, and league, it's just accelerated. There's always action, so I think that's I think it's a very marketable sport. But I'm very biased. Uh, in that opinion, obviously. <laughs> so it was great that Sky actually picked up the, the Super League or what, the National League um, over the last couple of weekends. I think that was actually, that'll give us a good indication, I guess, of what interest there is out there, I guess, to observe yeah. the game. I'd like to know, what was the dynamic of being player-coach? Did you ever drop yourself? <laughs> or did you, have uh, to, did you have a long conversation with yourself about having to perform better or you might have to drop yourself? It was it was a really horrible time actually. Um, I, I bet. Went from, yeah, I went from being well. There's the teammate dynamic, I guess, of, of playing with your, your mates, and at the end of the day, you know, there's a coach making the calls rightly or wrongly. Um, and then all of a sudden, people who were who became pretty close friends, I was having to select or not select uh, them, whilst potentially still selecting myself ahead of them. Um, and yeah, so the pressure was always on for me to be able to perform, uh, to justify that. But I had a really good assistant coach and staff around me with, with Enrico. He was kind of, without him, I probably couldn't have realistically done it. Um, and I was pretty transparent with the team. Um, I think after one tour, I just went out to them with a blind survey and said, hey, guys, if this isn't working, I'm completely anonymous, let me know. Um, and if there's a majority here, I'll just remove myself as a player and just focus on, on coaching. So to put my neck out on the line there um, a little bit. Um, and fortunately, uh, the players, I guess, got behind me. And, and what, do, what do you enjoy, Marvin, about the, the change from playing to, to coaching? Um, is, it, is it the team dynamics? Because um, it, it is quite a, quite a frustrating change, I find, from going from, you know, you want to be on the courts and you see mistakes made. You're a would-be coach in the making, aren't you, Grant Elliott? I would love to coach, yeah, and uh, yeah, extremely jealous, especially when it's a you know a sport that you're passionate about um, and that you've excelled in. So, uh, how are you finding that transition? Uh, you're right. That, the first comment you made there was the hardest. Going, I think I could do better than what they're doing out there, or why can't they just do what I'm what I'm saying? <laughs> um, that was always the the hardest part. Or why can't they just um, why can't someone just grab the game? and go with it, which was something that I used to be able to 
do as a as a player or one of my strengths. So it's been frustrating to lose that kind of leadership out on the court. Um, but I guess that kind of is why I've kind of moved into the coaching space. And futsal coaching is really it's, it's brilliant to be honest because you can have such an impact on the game. Um, I, oh, I, I'll bring I'll drag football into it again. But when uh, the traditional football coach, um, not every, just the traditional, will probably roll a sub at 65th minute, then maybe roll one in the 80th minute and then bring the young fella on for a couple of minutes um, to run around. And that's kind of their impact on the game. They've got a halftime chat. They yell and scream from sight. Um, but really, I don't know what impact they're having. We're in futsal. Because of how the game is played, we can have unlimited substitutions. We sometimes will sub all four players at once. Um, so you pretty much have a line change, which means you can tactically change what you're doing. You can be more aggressive in defence if that's what the game needs, or you can bring on some more conservative players if you need to score a goal. You can you can make these changes literally just by um, doing substitutions. So you're always kind of in the game, um, and that's kind of what made it hard as a player coach because I was literally in the game and also trying to, to have an eye on what was going on tactically um, and having to have the breath to be able to, to yell out some instructions um, as well. So I think that's the best part. You're, you're constantly impacting the game. You've got a timeout that you can use if you need to. Um, and you can always um, make some just some key changes at some key times. Um, or you can get that wrong in the same sense too. Marvin, last one from me. Um, pick a path. How does New Zealand get to a World Cup? And in all likelihood, uh, will it be the next... Uh, Available one, you, you feel? You know, what expectations have you set on your side? We, we're going to make the next World Cup. We won the um, last Oceania. So we just qualified through Oceania, which is, which is great. Uh, we won the last Oceania tournament uh, for the first time, um, just in June, July this year. Um, and we won it pretty convincingly. Uh, we've got a really good... What we've had is, as you mentioned before, we've had 10 years of just huge growth. And now we've got... Yeah, players that have been playing futsal for 10 years plus um, and that's from a young age and they're just technically outstanding um, that's that's what's coming through now so we've got the group of players that can do it we've got players overseas now we've got our first professional player um, playing over in Italy um, so everything's there for us to kind of to do the job um, there's some tricky customers in front of us like Solomon Islands, Tahitians New Caledonians are all very good Um at the, the the reduced game, um, but it's it's on us now. I think it's in our hands. To do it. We've been training hard in the background for pretty much the last um, cycle. We've got qualifiers next year in October, so all we need to do there is make sure we're we're in a good position. We're doing the right things. Uh, we've all worked hard for it, um, and making sure we're staying ahead of the game of the other countries. So, so Marvin, does your only professional player, does he get to, you know, wear different kits, have his own room, fly first class? Do you have to compensate for him as as coach? Is he a David Beckham <laughs> of the team? Yeah, he's, he hasn't quite heard those, those stripes yet. Um, he's, he's, very, he's, he's just a young, he's a young man. He's done it actually really. He's a, a humble guy as well. And I think that's why he's got to where he's got to. Uh, at the moment, so no, we haven't even been able to dig out how much he's making yet. So we'll, um, eventually, we'll get that <laughs> get that out of him. But um, no, he, he's a good lad, and he, he'll be important for what we're we're doing forward. And I think we're going to have a couple of others that are going to pick up some some pro contracts soon, and, and that's just going to improve everything we're doing. Because at the moment, they're kind of getting my voice all the time, and and I think you guys know the best way to to help improvement is kind of learning it 
across different mediums yeah. and um, my voice isn't always the right one. Brilliant. I really appreciate your time, Marvin. It's uh, great to chat. Uh, good luck for the future. Can't wait. The, the World Cup is when and where? Did you say Lithuania? Uh, for the World so the previous one was in Lithuania. The next World Cup qualifiers we've bid for them in October. The next World Cup is in 2024, and it's still in FIFA's hands to decide where that goes. So I'll right. just leave that as as that. Um, but, yeah, so qualifiers next year is the big one. Hopefully it's in New Zealand. Awesome stuff. I hope it goes well, mate, and we look forward to following um, uh, that when it arrives on our shores. Um, lastly, oh, and here's my third last question. What's the relationship between football and futsal? Is there, is there a snobbery? Does one look down at the other? We were just talking about cricket, indoor cricket, and now it doesn't mm. always uh, always gel. Doesn't gel. Does it oil and water? Um, is it is it a friendly uh, sort of um, relationship? It depends who you talk to. For me, I'll be honest. I think <laughs> um, there's real there are some ignorant people out in the football world yeah. that think football is a detriment to their or they, their players that they they think they own, and I think they're holding back. Um, kids, because kids should be able to enjoy lots of different sports, but futsal helps accelerate learning. It's, it's It makes sense. So it's, it's really frustrating that there's people out there in pretty important positions that are taking opportunities away from kids to, to play a game that I know that will just help them either be really good footballers or help them be futsal players, or they might be able to do both. But yeah, it shouldn't be, um, shouldn't be adults in key positions making decisions with people so that yeah, has to shouldn't be adversarial New, yeah. Zealand football. New Zealand football's behind it I think we can do more um, to really drive that home but uh, as I said 2008 I was paying my own way um, and now the guys um, get to have more than um, two bread rolls or whatever we used to have uh, for lunch there. they've kind of got it a bit better um, now so yeah so we're, we're in the right direction well, thanks so much for dropping by and joining us. I know you're probably uh, sleep-deprived. Uh, sounds like you're watching a fair bit of the Football World Cup too. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, and good luck for the future. We look forward to following you and your, your side closely. Thanks, Marvin. Thanks, Marvin. Good luck. Thanks, guys. Anytime. Speak football. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, that's uh, Saturday session uh, legend in association with Somerset. Think new friends, new laughs, and a new home. New Think Somerset Retirement Village is somerset.co.nz. Uh, delighted to have... Uh, Marvin joined at the program. Marvin Eakins, current coach, former player coach of our national side and a long-time player as well. Cool little story. Yeah, I, I reckon the, the fascinating thing about Marvin's story is, you know, that that's we, we keep talking about it, the love of sport. Yeah. And you never know where you're going to end up at. And, the you know, sporting organisations always concentrate on that top 1% of players that end up at the peak of the, the triangle and they see it as a pathway, but... You know, he started playing football and now has morphed into, like, you know, the futsal head coach of New Zealand and has his love of the sport. And that was through an invitation of a friend. As long as you have a love of sport, you never know which sport you might end up playing or what version of that sport you might be playing. Um, and cricket's a huge one at the moment. Like, are you going to be a test cricketer one day, T20? doesn't really matter. Are you going to be an umpire, a coach, scorer, an analyst, like, producer of the, the game? Like, there's so many avenues you can go down where you can still enjoy the sport. And it's cultivating that love of the sport at grassroots level. And Ben Francis and I were talking about that emotional connection, having an emotional connection to the sport and how do you create that as a sporting organisation. And that's going to the game and enjoying the atmosphere of the game so that you can develop that love of the game. It's 20 minutes away from 12 o'clock. We will be back after this break. 
Quarter to 12, this is the Saturday session, slightly different version. I was uh, MIA in the first hour, Ben Francis did a fine job alongside Grant Elliott. How do you rate that, uh, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question, how do you rate that Tom Latham innings? Is that, is that one of the best one day yeah, I mean, dogs just, you've seen? Yeah, it was. Uh, just the way that he timed it. I always talk about with players, you talk about knowing when the time is to actually take the game away from the opposition. And the way that he chased that total down, and you spoke about that 40th over where suddenly he just clicked into fifth gear. It was a matchup that he liked. He went bang, 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 25, then the game was in the bag. But um, Kane Williamson loves batting with people that just rotate the strike. There's nothing worse for Kane than someone that goes dot, 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 Four. one. <laughs> and then he's on strike, and you've got one off three balls. And then Kane goes one, it's two or four. And then he goes dot, dot, and then Kane's facing the next over. So Kane likes to rotate the strike. And Latham is, I think he was 55 or 55. They were just dinking it around, finding the gaps, creating that momentum, and then finding the right place or time in the game to then take the game away from the opposition. And that's the... The perfect innings is that you can get in through your ones, low-risk game, and keep the, the run rate at around that seven, eight max, and then suddenly you get that matchup, bang, big over, and then it's run a ball, and it's easy from there on. But the combination of uh, uh, Williamson and, and Latham, I think, was exceptional. What's the best one-day innings you've seen? Martin Guptill? Yeah, uh, Martin Guptill in Southampton. Got 189. That was amazing, that knock. He everyone, smoked it. Everyone talks about the quarterfinal, but that, that 180 against England was mm. mightily impressive. Uh, Brendan McCullum's innings in the semi-final of the World Cup. It was 55 off, like, I don't know. He was getting 50 of 20 balls in that, that <laughs> tournament. And that was an example of someone. That's why I quite like Finn Allen, because he can get you ahead of the game. So if he gets you ahead of the game and gets that quick-fire 50 then um, the middle order can just sort of dink it around and have low-risk cricket push the game even further on without losing a wicket so that you're in a great position to then launch with 15 so It's funny you say that because most people would look at the top scores and go, well, you've got to get over 100 for it to be an all-time innings. Yeah. But not you don't necessarily think that. You, you, you think about innings that alter a game or sway a game or yeah, I mean, set up a game. We always used to talk about how many hundreds uh, a player had scored and lost the game. Like, you don't want to be in that sort of column. You don't want to be a player that scored 100 and you lose. You want to score 100 and win. Because otherwise, you're sitting there in the change room going, well, what more could I have done? I should have done more. I should have got 120, not just 110. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the modern Guptill innings in Southampton, the one here at the Westpac uh, or Sky Stadium now, as it's called, we hit one over the roof against West Indies, quarterfinals. That was an amazing innings. Um. Yeah. Uh, the other innings is that I, I can't think of at the moment, but it's those big hundreds, big hundreds where a player's in, and you're just like, oh my word, I would hate to be bowling now. And th they used to have those power players at overs 35 to 40. Do you remember those? Where you only had three players out, and I was the specialist power play bowler. <laughs> I mean, this is rolling back the years. <laughs> I was bowling to Chris Gale and Shivnarine Chandapal, and about, I was. I was about to say Chris Gale. Um. Because in that quarterfinal, Chris Gale came out. He didn't get 100. He got close to, didn't he? Um, but he nearly killed people in the stands. That were, It was some of the most extraordinary hitting over a seven-hour period I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and timing. We talk about timing your run in the innings. Vittori came onto bowl, and Chris Gale went, not happening. Left arm spin against me, and he just went, chick, chick, chick. I think he hit him for four and an over or three and an over. 
And it was at that stage where you're like, oh no. They could get 390. <laughs> Imagine scoring 200 and losing. And you're going, unlucky gap, you didn't get man of the match. You should have got 300, <laughs> Martin. You held us back. He's been a wonderful servant. Um, and wish him all the success uh, when he's uh, playing for Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, we'll tell you uh, more um, as we progress. But uh, we'll go inside New Zealand Cricket, talk about not only. Um, um, the decision to release him, but uh, it's been a fascinating sort of six months with contracts at uh, the top of New Zealand cricket. That is still to come. Brian Stronach will join us out of New Zealand cricket about half past 12. It's 10 away from 12. Let's uh, take our last break and um, set up what's happening in the final hour of the show. Stay with us. 10 away from 12. I told you, Ecuador, they're good. You didn't You didn't want to believe me. You called it. You did call it. But oh, no, wow, you didn't call I, it. I didn't you call almost it. called it. I didn't call it. I, I said they'd beat Qatar one goal to nil. But I like Ecuador. They were so unlucky not to beat the Dutch and this morning. This does bring me to the point, Daniel, of normally at the end of our segment, at about 10 minutes to one, we play bets that you should run a mile for, from. Mm-hmm. And I reckon we should change that to bets you should run towards. Like at walk the towards the pressure. Walk towards it. Because on the show, we had Thomas Waldrop. And I asked him, I said, Thomas, what's your prediction? A classic question at the end of the interview. And he said, draw. It's going to be a draw. And I said, on punts that you should run a mile from, I said, well, I'm going to go with the experts and we're going to go for a draw. And it was $18. Eighteen dollars that did I you put, put some? Yeah, I put, did you put some slippery on? I slid a little twenty on. I there. swear, I do like the fact that you actually back up your talk. I do back up my. You I, know, I, I back up. Well, I've bit. just got long arms, short short arms, long pockets. I, I just give my advice. Uh, Ecuador. I, I, I tipped with Smithy earlier in the week that Senegal are not getting out of the group. They did beat Qatar three goals to one. I like Ecuador. I love that song. Go on, <laughs> I love that song. Thunderbirds to go. Put on those afterburners. It's the last hour. Gianni Infantino. I'm never Starring s- as the hood. <laughs> I've never sweated so much in that first hour. I well, don't know if it was the room I was in or what. Nervous. I was, just, I was a bit nervous. It's okay, I'm back. And I'm no back. one's come I'm back with how I've done, so I'm not even giving, getting feedback from the listeners. So I'm going to take that as it, it went swimmingly well. Yeah, well, let's offer them uh, another question based on our little chat as part of the break and the fact that it was, I think, John who suggested uh, Ross Taylor on one leg. What is your favourite one-day innings? Your favourite one-day international innings might be the best innings you've seen, seen uh, played by a New Zealander. Uh, text us, double eight, double three. Do let us know. Uh, your favourite one-day international innings? Uh, Grant rattles off uh, some of his favourites. Probably want to mention your mate Luke Ronke, don't you? Yeah. Oh, 70. Yeah, off air we... Got, he got you a world record. Yeah, well, he did. I, I, I you were got, just a mere passenger at the other end. I, I got 100 off 100 balls, which I thought I, uh, you <laughs> I, know, thought I did well. Going. I steadied the ship. <laughs> and then Ronk's got 160 off 90 balls. And... Um, we smoked got, it. Yeah, we got a, a world record sixth wicket partnership, which I reckon is not going to be broken. Two hundred sixty-seven. You'd need to to beat that. And um, Ronks did tell me uh, when I approached him a while ago. I said, "You know, Ronks, uh, I don't think anyone will beat that." He said, "Well, you know that the um, anti-corruption apparently are asking <laughs> questions because <laughs> the Sri Lankans bowled so badly in the last ten overs. I think he batted well." But yeah, they didn't really hit many Yorkers. They missed a lot of the Yorkers. All right. So, what the partnership of two hundred and sixty-seven? The asterisk should be not not unbroken. It should be under investigation <laughs> for possible <laughs> match fixing because the Sri Lankan uh, bats bowlers are on the take. 
No, that's what Wrong said. Yeah, Whether I that was tongue-in-cheek or no, I don't know. That but. would be unlike him to be tongue-in-cheek-filled. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, your favourite one-day international innings? Or one-day innings? Uh, could be the best you've seen. Could be the most important, like Gilchrist in a World Cup final. Although that would be a bit strange for our uh, audience to um, nominate an Australian. Yeah, that was. Here's a question as we'll get to your um, workhorse of the week. Now, people might want to ruminate on for a couple of minutes. Is it ever okay to support an Australian sporting team. Mm. Uh, more on that in just... As a uh, Kiwi. Uh, as a Kiwi. Uh, more on that in just a moment. Brian Stronach will t- talk to us a little bit later this hour, about half past 12. Really fascinating times as far as uh, New Zealand cricket, uh, the future, and now the past, because you've had some uh, people released during the week. Martin Guptill, Colin de Gronholm earlier this summer, walked away now, didn't he? Um, surprising many of us by being announced in the BBL draft. Um, Trent Bolts announced he's... Um, you know, uh, you know, much mutually uh, parted ways with New Zealand cricket as far as the central contract still sort of available for New Zealand. Not sure how much. We're maybe trying to find out on that. Jimmy Neesham, of course, didn't take a central contract, allowing him to be a free agent and move around wherever, um, where whatever suits is his, his right. Uh, really interesting times for sure. Plus, here's, here's an interesting one, Grant. Um, how many players under the age of thirty played last night against India? Uh, I'm going to say maybe one for Nalan. Fennell 23, Glenn Phillips 25. The rest are 30 and over. In fact, Nisham, Bracewell, Guptill were all named in the squad. No, Guptill wasn't, of course. Um, Bracewell's 31, Nisham's 32, and I can't remember the other names. Um, that's really embarrassing. Um, but we'll uh, ponder all of those things a little bit later. Is, uh, well, how can we refresh the talent? I, I did find it really interesting, a former player on this very station this week, um, criticising um, the releasing of Martin Guptill whilst also complaining about not giving younger players a chance. I don't know if you can have it both ways um, yeah. when you're lobbing hand grenades. Um, yeah. I'll leave that alone for another time. Well, yeah. it would be great to hear from the listeners if you want to text into double eight double three to Brian Stronach about you know the precedent this sets for New Zealand cricket because you can essentially not take a central contract but then go and play in the circuit. Yeah, you better be good enough to plan the circuit though. Yep. And then you better be good enough to palm the circuit. But still just come back to the team. So, you know, is there an unwritten rule that maybe in the press they're saying, yes, you're welcome back, but you're not? Um, because I know, you know, one Mitchell McLennigan did that, turned down a, a contract, went on the circuit, and, yeah, he was told he wasn't going to play for New Zealand. So that's, uh, that's obviously changed. That's Which is short-sighted, isn't it? Changing landscape. That's short-sighted. Uh, let's get to the headlines at the top of the hour, though. Uh, Neymar. Oh, more tears for Neymar in Brazil. He's cried a lot, isn't a he? A very likeable man. Neymar Jr. will miss Brazil's second and possibly third World Cup game. Uh, but will remain with the squad, undergoing treatment for his ankle injury, the team doctor has confirmed. It is a shame. I thought he was really good yesterday. Um, he plays a different role than he does for uh, Paris Saint-Germain. He doesn't play in the front line. He plays in this sort of free role in midfield. They're fun to watch, Brazil. They really are. And um, I actually do hope he gets... Um, Gets healthy again. Um, the team uh, doctor said tests conducted on his right ankle showed Neymar has a ligament injury and will not be fit to play against Switzerland. Uh, just uh, repeating the news and results overnight. Uh, England and USA nil all. Senegal beating Qatar three goals to one. Bye-bye Qatar, you're uh, officially eliminated. Uh, and the Netherlands and Ecuador were one all. Just waiting for the Ecuador song to come on. No, <laughs> no we don't do it at every mention. And then Iran uh, beat Wales two goals to nil. That was a wild old game. 
Oh, we were watching it, uh, the, the highlights of it during our interview with uh, Marvin, our legend of the week, and just the flying kick that the Welsh goalkeeper came in with. Yeah, Wayne Hennessy came storming out of his area, <laughs> tried to get to the ball, one-on-one situation, and almost kung-fu kicked the, uh, the Iranian uh, goalkeeper. It's just hopelessly mistimed. And in true hopelessly football mistimed. style, looked shocked yeah. as to, well, what? Why am I being I sent off? Ca- I nearly decapitated him. <laughs> what do you mean you're sending me off? Yeah, they went to the VAR for that one. Finally sent him off. And then eight minutes into the nine minutes of added time, Iran scored from a strike outside of the area, bent it into the, the far right-hand corner. It's a really good goal. But the reaction of the Welsh players, if you get a chance to watch the highlights, they all fall over mm. in unison, collapse to the ground in, in horror. And then there's this absolutely moving moment where there's this father yeah. consoling his son who's just welling up. The tears are starting to sort of drip out of the eyes and it's dad just with the sh- arm over the shoulder. That's, that is a, an image I'm, I'm going to remember for a very long time as the Welsh fans have waited 64 years to get back um, uh, to the, uh, to the uh, World Cup stage. Uh, and Tom Latham and Kane Williamson celebrated a record fourth wicket stand and with it a hugely impressive seven wicket win over India at Pakistan. Sorry, uh, at Eden Park. <clears throat> I've got Pakistan on the mind because... Um, SENZ has the rights to the Pakistan series, you may have heard during the week. Um, chasing down what appeared to be an imposing total with 17 balls to spare against India. India racked up 306 uh, for the loss of seven. Latham joined Williamson with New Zealand, sort of teetering a little bit at 88 for three in the 20th over. They put on 221 from just 165 balls, setting a New Zealand record as Latham struck his seventh one-day century and ended unbeaten on a high, new high score of this. 145 of 104 balls second one Day International takes place tomorrow in Hamilton. Uh, as a result of this, uh, we've asked you, what is your favourite uh, One Day innings and why? I, I don't think I really need to explain why, but Chris has uh, texted in double eight, double three. Lance Ken's hitting six sixes. Oh, with the Excalibur. Yes, at the MCG with no ropes in like these days. Legitimate sixes at the MCG. That's good. Job. Smoking it over long on backwards square. One hand even. Just... Just don't look at the scorecard of that game. I smoked a six at the MCG. Did you? I'm glad you well, made this uh, chat about Lance Kins about yourself. Well, it was a top edge oh. over the keeper. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell Stark top edge. That's, a, that's much better. <laughs> Been disparaging you yourself. That, that, that's how we roll on this uh, program. Your favourite one day innings and why? Chris has started us off double eight, double three, because uh, Tom Latham's got to be right up there as far as the best we've seen for New Zealand. Um, excellent stuff. Uh, Lance Kins hitting six sixes, writes Chris. Yeah, as I say, don't look at the scorecard of that game. We got, <laughs> we got smoked. Yeah, but still six still, sixes, though. Yeah, that's, that's all that people remember. Yeah. That's all that people remember. All right, Grant, it is time for you to lead us off uh, for our workhorse of the week in association with uh, Midas Agritize, the choice of leading manufacturers. Midas Agritize, European quality made affordable. Uh, who has uh, been doing the yards during the week, entertaining us, the sports fans? Well, I'm going to go with a non-nomination first. As always. And you brought up, is it all right to support Australia as a, as a Kiwi? Well, Dale Warburton, who's the founding member of the Wellington Phoenix supporters group, he had a little bit to say about this. <laughs> so Australia, in their first game, he said the game is a good this morning was perfect. To see the Australians get a little glimpse of hope, went 1-0 up, and it was quite hopeful. Then 30 minutes in it, all just fell apart. It was just a chef's kiss. 
kind of stuff for me. And then when he asked, you know, does he hope that they're going to win? He said, I hope they get battered in all three games and go home. That's my ideal <laughs> situation. So my non-nomination would go to the Australian football team. Well, no, team. no, your non-nomination there is going to New Zealand football fans who refuse to support <laughs> yeah, their, so. their Australian brothers. <laughs> yeah. I, I must admit, I, I find this one a little bit more uh, complex. I, I wonder if it's because there's a few players in the A-League and that side, like Craig Goodwin actually scored the goal and plays for Adelaide. You get to see them, watch them, grow somewhat attached to them. I'd, yeah, it's, if there's an Australian side that I would... The Socceroos are the ones I feel less dirty about, yeah. about supporting. So is it okay to ever support an Australian side, Ben Francis? Is it? Uh, no. No? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I could bring myself to do that. I don't think so. I, okay, I did tell you there was... Head, Australia, England are playing in a final. Who are you supporting? England. Um, wow, really? Yeah, so, I mean, you asked me, you said, who's the one team you wouldn't coach internationally? <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but anyway, let me get to the, the workhorse of the week. This touched my heart, this. So, the Japanese fans have just shown what lovely humans they are by tidying up the stadium after their team had just tidied up Germany. Um, and you, know, you see this image of all the Japanese fans and all the rubbish bags, and they tidied up their own, their own place where they, they were supporting. So, I mean, that's just... How has the world got to where it is at the moment, where people just throw their stuff and they just expect someone to clean it up? Fans actually cleaned up after themselves. So. Oh, really? So it's, you know, not like the contrived All Blacks, you know, nonsense of, you know, we're good blokes, we sweep out the changing room. Yes, they, they've swept the sheds. So they, they've cleaned Yeah. Fantastic. And what about the fact that they provided one of the brighter moments of the opening round of games at uh, the FIFA World Cup too? Well, Beating Germany. Oh, the, the, the big upset, yeah. Yeah, that was a, you know, excellent comeback. Um, they looked all at sea in the first half, made a tactical change and... It looked like it was coming against Germany, who now face uh, the very real prospect of being eliminated at the group stage in two consecutive World Cups. And playing against Spain, you said. Yes. Yeah, big yeah. game. Yeah. There will, um, only Brazil has been at more World Cups than Germany. They play a Four-time def- champions, aren't they? Do they play a defensive I, game? Imagine, Germany? no. No. Do they not? not no, not, not necessarily. I always remember they, they just don't they don't have an in and out goal scorer number nine but mm. uh, it just shows the the level of um, talent at this World Cup as far as the playing field the depth is probably a better word rather than talent uh, so that's uh, your suggestion for workhorse of the week yeah the Japanese fans hmm. and maybe the New Zealand football fans or Phoenix fans who are yeah. not supporting Australia lack of support they wear yellow but they they've got no love for the yellow. <laughs> Across the Tasman. Yeah. Is it ever okay to support an Australian side? Double eight, double three. <clears throat> What's your favourite one-day international innings? Or one-day innings? Uh, Margaret. Good to hear from you, Margaret. Uh, right. Hi, guys. Ross's 180 on one leg. Margaret's nailed it as well. Was that, that Dunedin? <sighs> from, from memory, was it Napier? thought it was Napier. But uh, that was exceptional hitting. And the thing is... When you have a batter that is batting on one leg, you know as a captain you think we're in trouble here because <laughs> you know that they're not going to look to run singles because they can't. So all they're going to do is try and launch it. So as a bowler, you're going, oh, you know, if I get this wrong, I know he's trying to just smoke sixes every delivery. And, um, you know, Ross Taylor, when he's in and he's on form, gee, he could pick out, we called it Foo Corner. And he could hit Foo Corner with some serious force. The shot that, 
that got him that 1.5 million to go to Royal Challengers Bangalore early on in the IPL. You just at will hit it to Cow Corner. Uh, I hate to say I told you so, but it was in Dunedin. It was in Dunners. Yeah, uh, England made 335 for nine. Johnny Bairstow got 138 of 106. No one remembers that. No one remembers his 14 <laughs> fours and seven sixes. Joe Root got 100. Uh, they put on about 200 for the second wicket. Uh, yeah, 336 was the target. New Zealand's top order was this. Uh, Guptill, naught off 10. Colin Munro, naught off 1. Kane Williamson got 45. Uh, but Ross Taylor, 181 off 147 balls at 17 fours and six sixes. Just incredible, really. Um, outstanding effort. As uh, on one leg, uh, he plundered the palms to all parts of the University Oval and uh, New Zealand got home. Well, remember the Ross Taylor of old. The Ross Taylor of old, when he started playing test cricket, he would sort of like go block, block, leave, block, 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 and then out of nowhere, whack, just come this foo corner, bang, and he hit for six out the ground, out of nowhere. And there was one player that I played with that was very similar to that. It was Mark Ramprakash. Yeah. He'd sort of just be going, and then all of a sudden, some shot out of nowhere. Um, and I'm trying to think of what his uh, alter ego was that he called himself. Jerry. What? He had an alter ego, Jerry. Yeah. He used to talk to Jerry when he got out. Okay, this is odd. So it's like he talked about himself in the third person as a third person. Kind of, yeah. And yeah. so when he got out, he'd be like, come on, Jerry, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> so maybe that was Jerry hitting that, that amazing <laughs> shot. Cricketers, right, Daniel, cricketers are weird. Yeah. We're on a field for so long, yeah, eventually the uh, mental cookness <laughs> does start to, to simmer away. Uh, Connor writes, uh, it'd be easier to support the Socceroos of Oz football uh, if Oz football was more supportive uh, and hosting games uh, against the All-Whites. Connor, how about we throw um, shade at our own organisation for just not getting games in New Zealand overall? Not keen on well, So we're going to blame Australia for that. Yeah, it'd be nice. How about we just get a nation down here um, regularly to play? I, that is a real bugbear of mine, and actually get, it gets right under my skin. Uh, the fact that we've hardly seen the All Whites play at home in New Zealand over the last ten years, when we have got some excellent footballers now playing their trade overseas. <sighs> anyway, also when they packed out the stadium recently <laughs> at Eden Park, Good so, you know the, the, the product is there. But but I, I understand your point, Connor, and I, I'm I'm not trying to um, have a crack at you. It's it's more. You've really upset him now, yeah, Connor. Yeah. You've really upset him. You've, you've thrown me because I was going to get to my uh, Midas, uh, Midas Agritire's workhorse of the week. My non-nomination. How do you spell collapse? C-O-L-L-A-S. No, you don't. You spell it A-L-L-B-L-A-C-K-S. Oh. The All Blacks. My non-nomination because they left the field after 71 minutes. It's an 80-minute game against England last week. Wow! What was the lead? What a collapse that was! What was the lead? Nineteen? Was it nineteen? It's three tries they mm. got, didn't they? Mm. They were really good for long periods of that game, but then I don't know. Last game of a Bangladesh tour? Yeah, one foot on the plane. One foot on the plane. They, I don't know why they tried to beat the traffic from out of Twickenham, but extraordinary um, sort of uh, finish to that game. So. Um, a lot, a lot of uh, um, editorials are very read. weird year for the all. Yes, so everyone very said very weird year that almost caps off the year. Everyone has said it sort ah. of sums it up. Yeah, very yeah. odd. A draw. Yeah, which was great for our yeah for your bets. Bets you can run a mile towards. Uh, my actual nomination. They call it the beautiful game. Have you have you got this? 
Ben Francis? Have you got this? You like sh shameless self-promotion? How's this? The area, gives a beautiful ball to left-hand corner. In fact, I did not see it with my own eyes, David. You would not believe that goal. Incredible! I'll call it now goal of the tournament so far, Daniel. What a finish. Acrobatics. Worthy of the yellow shirt. I tell you what, in Brazil, I know what they'll be saying. They'll be saying this. better than you. That's why we love this game. Wow! Uh, David showed it his very best. Uh, any New Zealand football commentator brave enough to do the <laughs> goal gets um, you know big love from me. I, I, I'd never be brave enough to do that. But the goal itself is uh, a thing of absolute beauty. I'm not sure if you've actually seen it, Grant. I haven't Richarlison seen it. sort of controls it. I'm not sure if he does it deliberately. The ball's played in from the left-hand side, fizzed in towards his feet, and he's got his back to goal. And sort of flicks the ball over his shoulder with his left foot and then on comes around with a three quarter scissors kick and buries it into the to the near post on the left side. So he's called it that flush. He's hit it to, to the near post. The keeper had no chance. Um, and as uh, David rightly points out, uh, a goal fitting of the yellow shirt of Brazil. It was uh, quite something. Have you, have you heard the Zulu goal? No, but I'm about to. La Duba. I like that one. That's good. <laughs> that is good. Yeah, it would be quite good getting all the different country celebrations yeah. of goal yeah. from commentators. Yeah, we in the Western world don't really. We just, we just scream out their name, don't we? Yeah, I'm just trying no. to think what you do. Aguero! Oh. Like, oh. Stuff like that. <laughs> uh, so that was my nomination uh, for the Midas Agritise Workhorse of the Week. Midas Agritise, made in Europe and trusted by leading equipment manufacturers worldwide. European quality doesn't have to break the bank. Ask for Midas Agritise for your equipment. 20 after 12, back after this break. Approaching 25 minutes after 12 o'clock, reminder that the Cancer Society Longest Day Golf Challenge is on now. Register at longestday.org.au. NZ for a wonderful cause for sure. Uh, thanks to Tommy Latham's brilliant innings last night. We're asking you to go into your memory bank and tell us what your favourite one-day international innings is on double eight, double three. Still no love for one Grant Elliott, unfortunately, mate. <laughs> uh, Chris writes, McCullum's domination of Bangladesh, New Year's Eve 2007. 80 off 28, while Jamie Howe scored 7 from 8, chasing 93. I think I remember I, that. I, I did not, and I had to bring up the scorecard to actually uh, remind myself. Was it in Queenstown? It, it was Queenstown. Bangladesh got 93 off 37.5 overs. Uh, and yes, Daniel Vittori, six overs, two maidens, five for seven. And New Zealand got got 95 in six overs. Jamie Howe got seven off eight. McCallum hit 15 of the 28 balls he faced, either for four or six. I'm pretty sure that that may have been the first game where they trialed the replacement player. So you could go in with 12 players and you could sub out a player at any stage. So let's say you went in with Chris Martin, which I think in this game potentially they did, and then Jamie Howe came in to replace Chris Martin. Chris Martin did bowl. Did he play? 10 overs, 4 mainers, none for 22. Mm. So good knowledge there, Grant Elliott. 
Yeah, do you remember those, those rules? No, I don't. I just, it's a shame uh, Bangladesh couldn't change their whole team. <laughs> that is a hiding. Yeah. Losing by 10 wickets with 44 overs to spare. Or is it, though? You're in Queenstown as an away trip. Mm. You lose the game early. Out on the town. New Year's. They wanted an early New Year's, didn't they, the Bangladesh team? Well Genius. played. Smart men. Uh, Dan and Grant, I tend to recall Chris Kens pulling out an amazing one-day international innings about 20 years ago. Black Caps were toast versus South Africa at Brisbane. Remember my wife saying, don't worry, Kenzie will save the day. I said, not a chance, and took a bet that if he did, I would do a late-night evening streak in our backyard. Had to get the kick off. Kit off. Damn, writes uh, Graham. Yeah, you are remembering the VB series, as it was called back then in 2002, when New Zealand chasing 242 were four for 73 in the 19th over when Chris Kens came to the wicket and uh, he got New Zealand home with a brilliant 102 off 99, hit nine fours and three sixes as uh, New Zealand got home with five balls to spare. Uh, he was some player for sure. Uh, and Tim's just nominating Gupp- Guppy's 200 at the World Cup. It segues nicely to our next guest coming up after the break. Uh, Marna Guptal in the news, of course, being released from his New Zealand cricket contract. Interesting times in New Zealand cricket as far as the contracting structure. Lots of comings and goings. Uh, we're going to talk about um, you know, all of these things. Eye to the future. We're going to catch up with uh, the High Performance Director. I think that's the official title, Brian Stronick from uh, New Zealand Cricket. He joins us uh, on the other side of this break. 28 minutes away from 1 o'clock. This is the Saturday session. And we've got our next guest where I know a lot of our listeners have been looking forward to this to ask some, some questions, as have Daniel and I. It's Brian Stronach, who is head of high-performance cricket for New Zealand Cricket and was um, my f- he was in charge of the fitness when I was involved in the Black Caps. He used to push us really hard, actually. Stroni, welcome to the show. No problem. Yeah, that seems like a long time ago now. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have my GPS on today. Strony used to give us these GPS units where they, they were remote at that time, so you had to plug them in. And because I was an all-rounder, he's like, there you go. You've got to do 12Ks today. And off you'd go and you do your fielding and your batting and your bowling. And then you'd log in the, the GPS unit. you go, sorry, mate, you've got another 4Ks to do. And off you'd go and trot around the field for another 4Ks. And you were one of the fitter ones. In 100% humidity. Yeah. Look, yeah, that's why I've got so many greys now, Strony. <laughs> Look how good you got. <laughs> <laughs> well, Daniel would actually beg to differ on that point. Okay, great. I, just, I just like to keep him humble, Brian. I just like to yeah, keep him exactly. humble. Exactly. Uh, it's it's no, great to have enough. you on the show, Stroni. Really good to have you I've, on the I've, show. I've got to ask, are you thinking about slapping GPS on all your players at the moment? Because there's a bit of coming and going uh, in international cricket, yeah. isn't there? These are, really, these are really interesting times. And, you know, I just jotted down um, some notes over the last four or five months. And, and please fill in any blanks that I've missed out. But, you know, you've got someone like uh, uh, Jimmy Neesham, who's a big cog of the, uh, the T20 one-day scene. Uh, doesn't take a central contract. Trent Bolt, we all know. Well, I think it was during the was it during the Chapel Hadley he announced um, mutually yeah, yeah. sort of um, agreeing to to end his central contract. De Gronholm surprised yeah. all of us by being drafted in the BPL after being on a contract. And, and Martin Guptill uh, released during the week, um, shortly after being snapped up by Melbourne. How do you describe? How would you, in general, broad terms, describe this period? Are we going through a transitional phase? Is it? the beginning of the end as some of the headlines have tried to portray during the week? Oh, no, I wouldn't call it the beginning of the end, but it's definitely interesting times. I mean, um, 
we're looking at a team with a lot of great players that have been around for a very long time. And I said earlier in the week, I, don't, I wouldn't like to say that they're, that they're at the end of their careers, but they're definitely at the back end, towards the end. And then the, the cricketing landscape, as we all know, has just changed with these um, T20 franchise um, competitions springing up all over the show. So really, when you get into the back end of your career and you've got more options than anyone ever had in the past, um, then I think this is a bit of a natural occurrence. But for us, we've just got to work our way through it, and we're trying to find win-win situations. I think one of the biggest things for us is we've only, out of all those players you said, it's only actually Colin the Gronholm that's not available for selection anymore. So it's just working our way through this new environment and, and trying to find win-wins where we can. Strony, do you think uh, things have softened the... Um the ability to pick players that are not centrally contracted, because I do remember Mitch McLennigan, where um, he was not centrally contracted, but um, was out of the picture totally at a time where, yeah, I, I thought that maybe he could have been considered. Is it a time to soften, or have you softened? Are the lines a little bit greyer than they used to be? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a changing environment, but but we've always been able to pick uncontracted players and I guess in the case of some of the, the ones that were um, taking up these opportunities in the past, it comes down to selection, doesn't it? And whether, whether our selectors thought they were in the best 11 for the team or not, but the, the landscape's definitely changed. There's more competitions and there's, there's more of our, I suppose, top-end players that are being tempted by these things and, and you can't really blame them either at times, but we still want to support our contracted players as much as we can, so... I mean, you, you see at times like now when Trent Bolt's not there and so forth, but, but it gives us, still gives us the opportunity to pick those players when they're in form and leading into peak events and so forth. Are we, are we not in the danger, Stroni, of someone like the Mumbai Indians, let's say, or even Rajasthan that look like they're buying up teams around the world? Obviously, the South African competition is, is about to start and they, they have a lot of Indian owners that own those teams. Is that... Uh, international cricket will be secondary and the circuit will become the, the primary focus of these players who may be contracted to the likes of a Kolkata, a Rajasthan or a Mumbai and that's almost their base and then they come in and out of the team because the strength of New Zealand team has always been the team culture and the, the mm. togetherness. Yeah, oh, to be completely honest with you, who knows? <laughs> it's such a quick, quick uh, and changing landscape but I think the one thing international cricket's still got is currently, I think most players, to keep their value in those T20 franchise league, need to be playing well on the international stage, especially in New Zealand when we're a little bit smaller and so forth. But we also have that, that great thing, at what you talked around there, we may not be able to compete with money, but we can compete with environment and culture and playing for your country is a massive part of that. I think generally around the world, people still want to pay, play for their country and they still hold that on a pedestal. So, as I said earlier, the key for us is where we can um, where we can be flexible enough that people can um, go and play in these competitions and but still play for their country. And, and I think we've been pretty flexible around that with both within our contracting system where we, we let players go off and play in these leagues when they, uh, the IPL and so forth, when they don't clash with, um, with international cricket. But then... Also through these times, we're, um, we're releasing people from contracts, but they're still available to come and play for us. Walk us through how the Martin Guptill situation plays out. Um, here's me playing amateur detective. 
Liam Livingston, four days ago, it's announced he leaves Melbourne. The next day, Martin Guptill's released. The following day, he signs with Melbourne. Um, did, Ma- did that offer get put to him and he came to you to get out of the, out of the con? Is that essentially how it's worked here? Oh, no. Well, I, don't, I couldn't tell you, actually. I, I don't know when he was offered those sorts of things. Uh, I can tell, tell you from Arian that it was obviously he didn't make the 11 of that World Cup, T20 World Cup squad. And then we came back and we uh, went through the selection process process for both the T20 and the ODI teams against India here. And he, he didn't find himself in the 13 for either of those. So it was post that that he came uh, and we started having discussions and negotiations around this. But I, I you'd have to ask him around when he was approached by the, the Big Bash stuff because we, we weren't involved with that at all. And, and Stroni, I guess the, the danger for New Zealand uh, cricket setting kind of these precedents of, of players being released almost halfway through uh, their contracts is that you would start off with your contract planning and you'd have your players in place and then suddenly a BBL team would approach a player or you know the South African League uh, would approach a player and offer them a lucrative contract where they think, you know what, I'm going to take that and I'm just going to ask if I can be released from the New Zealand contract. And then you're without a, a contracted player that you haven't obviously invested that time and, and probably experience in leading up to the big competitions. Yeah, no, that's you're exactly right. And I guess for us, the key bit here is um, just because someone seeks a release doesn't mean we have to grant it. So in this case, we think the players that are doing it have earned the right to do that and so forth. And our contract systems are only a year-long contract, so there's not there's the opportunity... Um, each year to, to look at these sorts of things, but I don't think it would be a cut blanche where any player that right. could, um, just gets offered something at any time, we would accept that. Yeah, and, and also, Stroni, I guess you look at the positive side of it, where you could have younger players, guys like Rachin Ravindra, guys like Dane Cleaver, coming in and, and taking those spots of players that are not going to be available during that time, um, and that'll help uh, create a little bit more depth in the squad. Yeah, and that that is the positive side of it. That's what I was talking about before with us kind of um, supporting our contracted players. And, I mean, in the past, and, and we see this as a good thing as well, but it's, it's been pretty hard to crack into the squad for a number of years, whereas this, this does give, give us the opportunity to develop people towards um, international cricket. And then, obviously, as I said, it's, it's leading into a peak event, a, a World Cup or... Um, the next um, test match series or whatever we can we can pick the best team that we need so it does create a, a, a bit of a win-win for us around that right okay so uh, there's no hard and fast rule here Kane Williamson will not um, be the same sort of thinking for a, as a Finn Allen Finn Allen's just sort of scratched the surface as far as an international sort of career Kane Williamson's been around for years and years and years if he came to you you'd be far more amenable to that because um uh, of the longevity he's given uh, New Zealand cricket. I, I, I think that's a fair way to sum it up. Yeah, I, I think that's true. We, we, basically, we want to look at it for a, on a case-by-case basis at the moment and understand that we don't, we don't have any black and white rule, whereas if you've done X amount of years for the, the black caps or anything, you're, you're open to these or you're not. But we, we just want to work through it for a, from a case-by-case basis. And, and generally, I think you're right, those, the players that we're looking at, certainly Martin Guttel's played for 14 years, for the black caps and done everything, everything that anybody could ask of them around that. So, yeah, that that creates some, I suppose, some money in the bank with us. Where 
is getting to the back end of his career and, and these opportunities come up and who are we to stand in the way of doing that? But that, but that is very different to um, some of the other players who are starting their careers and were supporting and, and so forth. Okay, so De Gronholm, as you said at the top, um, is unavailable. He's, uh, he's gone yep. his way. Uh, Nisham's a freelancer, if, if, if you will. Uh, Martin Gaptor yep. will uh, still make himself available when he's not double booked. What about the on-loan um, Mumbai Indians, Trent Bolt? What's going on there? Like, How much has he committed? Has he given an indication of when he'll be available? Like, Is there a World Cup, I don't know, next year that he's indicated he will play in? Oh, I, I think he'd love uh, the next World Cup for us is the One Day World Cup over in India. So I, I think he would love to be part of that. So that's that's a perfect, I think, example right now as we're supporting through the series some, some of our contracted players and and Trent's off doing his thing. But he still loves this team and he still really wants to play for New Zealand and and he's talking to us around that. So he, I, I think. Um, all going well form for him and so forth, then, then he would love to be part of that um, that World Cup squad and leading into it and probably some series leading into it so we can perform the best we can. But he definitely still loves playing for us um, and loves playing. So yeah, he is available? So he, he has told you he's available yep. for it? Yeah, yes. Yep. Well, I mean, we haven't got to the, the, the actual nuts and bolts, but he still wants to play for New Zealand. Yes, yep. Not the World Cup. I'm labouring a point now here, Grant, aren't I? I should probably move on. <laughs> yeah, he wants <laughs> the World Cup's still a wee way away, so we're not we're not picking the World Cup squad as of now. But yeah, he's, he's oh, but you're thinking about it, Brian. Let's let's be fair. You're yep. thinking about it. We're, we're all thinking about yep. it now. Yep. How yep. good, and, especially and especially if your side if your side wins games like that. You've, you've been so you're the number one ranked side in the world. You've been to two straight finals. There's a lot of New Zealand fans yep. who are already looking forward to it, Brian. I can tell you that. Yeah, he's definitely not saying to us that he doesn't want to be part of that, put it that way. So right, good, good. If, Thank if you very much. He'll be there. Yeah, yeah. So, Stroni, um, are we, are we going to be uh, at the stage now with, whenever you ask the players, they say that test cricket is the most important, it's the pinnacle, but there's so much emphasis on white ball cricket now and the movement of these players. Is mm. the worry that test cricket is going to be the, the one format that will really be affected with uh, the movement of, of people going from circuit to circuit? Uh, I hope not, because uh, I, I, I still think there's a, that, I suppose, prestige of Test Match cricket still sits with our playing group and with our um, our support staff. I, there's not too many players in New Zealand that I think, uh, especially young players and talent coming through that are going that are talking to us and saying oh, we don't want to play red ball cricket. And I think the Test Match Championship has just reinforced that. But uh, tests are critically important to our playing base and everyone. So I, I'd like to think, yes, these, the, the white ball emergence and the TV franchise is putting pressure on the calendar and things like that. But I don't think anyone's got an appetite to go away from tests because it just means so much to this game and, and these players. And they do see it as the peak. How concerned are you about the age of the side? Last night, just two players under the age of 30. And, and how do you bring in new talent when there's only 11 spots available for any one game? You must be in a really tricky position to keep the winning habit going and also finding ways to blood new talent at the top end. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting time, isn't it? I mean, you go back 10, 12 years, whatever it was, and, and we had a really young side. And... Um, that's where your Kane Williamsons and your Martin Guptors and your Tom Latham's and things 
they were really good talent and they were coming into the team, but they've, they've been there for a long time now. So that obviously makes it hard and they're performing at the top level. So we're going to concentrate on the natural um, changeover, like like there's been things like sending um, teams to, to different um, countries where our top guys haven't been able to play because there's just so much cricket now, but also our A programme. Like we've got a massive emphasis on our A programme now. They were over in India. We're playing Australia later in the year and so forth, and that's critical. But but also, I think the standard of our domestic cricket now is just so much better than what it was. Mm. You see a lot of players now when they come into the international team into Black Caps that they actually perform and they perform consistently. Whereas there used to be that trend is you'd come out of domestic cricket or an A program, New Zealand A program, you'd you'd play. You'd go okay, and then you'd fail for a while, and you'd, you'd be dropped, and then have to come back in. And we've managed to kind of change that cycle a little bit. So, a lot of the time, I, I don't see it being hard to get into the black caps as, as a bad thing. I think fighting to want to get in there and then having to be consistent when you get in there is a really good thing. But we've just got to work harder on all those other areas to make sure they're ready when they get in there. Well, Stroni, congratulations on a great win last night. There was exceptional viewing. Yeah, it was, that wasn't it? Partnership with Latham and, and Williamson um, at Eden Park. And, you know, hopefully, uh, from what I understand, if we can win all three, we go to number one uh, in the Super League. We've loved having you on the show. Good for our listeners to get an insight into that. They've definitely been interested in Martin Guptill's departure um, or release from his contract. And it's great to get clarity. Thank you so much for coming on the show. No problem at all, guys, any time. And thanks for all your support around it. It's just uh, passionate. Kiwis being passionate about cricket, which is, a, which is a great thing. Yeah, well said, Brian. Thanks so much for your time. Go enjoy your Saturday afternoon. Now, Brian Stronick, the uh, high-performance manager at New Zealand Cricket. We will take a break. It's 12 away from 1 o'clock. That was a really interesting chat with Brian Stronick. I've just uh, started to write my New Zealand squad for the 2023 Cricket World Cup. Trent Bolt, Delhi Capitals. Is, is that how you're announcing it? Yes, and the team yeah. for the 2023. <laughs> yeah, Trent Bolt's clearly available. New Zealand World Cup. Uh, what else? My amateur detectiveness. Liam Livingston, four days. Guptill gets released the following day, gets announced with Melbourne. Hmm. So New Zealand cricket should be given credit for releasing him and allowing him to go to the BBL, because that's the way I interpret it, that he's clearly, I should. he's not clearly. A, My so, own supposition would suggest that this is um, New Zealand cricket being quite, good to a guy who served them 14 years it might not be as nasty and not giving them the perfect send-off as they've been so criticised for over the last few days by uh, some. But if, you, if you're going to be considered for New Zealand, maybe there should be like a retaining contract, like a smaller amount. So you're not on a, a bigger contract, but just a retention contract if you're available to play for New Zealand, as opposed to just being totally released. Is there not a pool of players that say, okay, well, we, we want to be paid X during the year, where does this money commit come? to commit to New Zealand? And where does this money come from? Well, it comes from out here. of the pot that well, this normally goes to the contract players um, in a financial sphere where we're struggling to retain players. Well, there's 21 contracted players, too many, in my view. You do? Should be 15. Interesting. Interesting. Should be 15, and then you've got six of those contracts where that will make up probably okay. three quarters of a million, and then you can use that money potentially for retention of players that want to move around. But you've still got to say, at least you've got to say as New Zealand cricket in that, they probably wouldn't take that small contract because the other contracts are more lucrative. 
different type of show. We um, have been all over the place. Uh, my late arrival, Ryan Stronach at a certain time. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, we don't have a whole heap of time to wax lyrical about how good we are at our sporting tips. You should probably run a mile from. <laughs> Big ups to Thomas Wardrum. We've got about a minute. I'll go really quickly. International rugby hasn't finished. Uh, Grant, England are taking on South Africa. $18 the draw. No, he's not going to. Am I? No, I'm just going South Africa to win this one head-to-head. $2.25. Not, not massively enamoured by the English as they currently stand. Granted, it is the last uh, last match of the season. Um, for, one foot on the plane. Yeah, one foot on, But <laughs> I'm going South Africa to, 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 tip, uh, to knock over England. What are you doing, oh, Grant? Russia Erasmus will love that. I'm going to go on a straight-out correct score. It's a big game. It is a huge game. Midweek. Yep, Spain versus Germany. Daniel McCarty will be calling it, and I'm going to go Spain to win it 2-1. That gives you $9. Oh, Germany are out of the World Cup. Germany out. Oh, you've heard it here first by Grant Elliott. Uh, my thanks to Grant and Ben Francis. Thanks so much for filling in soberly between uh, 10 and 1 o'clock, my, or 10 and 11. Um, we will catch you um, next Saturday on this uh, program from 10. Well, Grant and Ben will. I'll be late to the party again, but have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. Yep.